Welcome to season 10 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matthew Stockton. That's the trouble with the world, Jack Darling. People got different ideas concerning what they want out of a sequel. Accurate. Yeah. Very true. We've found that a lot in this show. Mm. <laughs> People defending every possible bad sequel they possibly can. Mm. Silly, silly people. But telling you who's not silly, it's the person who's joining us, it's Tim Maton. Because of the obvious threat to untold citizens due to the crisis that is even now developing, this podcast will remain on the air day and night. <laughs> Christ. If only. Well, no, because then we'd be obliged to keep making new episodes. <laughs> no, just put our previous 150-something episodes on repeat. It'll be fine. Jaws as well? Yeah. Oh, goddamn. Sorry for the audio quality if you listen to season one. <laughs> but we're in season 10, goddammit. Yeah, this is progress. Yeah. If you can listen and we've improved, progress. Exactly. And if you haven't really picked up from those little sneaky clues from my colleagues here, we're talking about the 1985 zombie movie, Day of the Dead. A film a lot of people like. Mm. A lot of people like. And that, for those who keep in score, which you should do, that is the third in the Of the Dead trilogy, or whatever the fuck <laughs> it's called. The, the zombie trilogy from one George Romero, mm, of course. Yes. Leading on from Night of the Living Dead to Dawn of the Dead to Day of the Dead. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, that, Jack. Is, that, is, that is the trilogy of movies we'll be synopsizing, but we're specifically fixing mm. the third in that trilogy. And then there's, there's now like nine more of them or something. I, I think, think there's seven take... in total. Is it seven? I thought it was five. There's six in total. Oh my God. How do we and both there's, get and that there's wrong? also numerous remakes oh and yeah that causes yeah. problems multiple multiple remakes including ones we've talked about on the show before yes <laughs> Zack Snyder hello Ugh. it's a good remake maybe, maybe his best movie uh maybe it's a low <laughs> bar but yeah so yes we'll be talking about Day of the Dead this week but before we get to talking about Day of the Dead and all that good stuff let's pay a little respects shall we to the dead <laughs> On patreon.com slash sequelizers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, undead hordes of patrons. That It's not a horde, but it's some people. And we very much appreciate some all of you. people. It is. I know, it's accurate. Oh, it's you, you who are about to support us on Patreon, we su <laughs> salute you. We <laughs> salute you. Exactly. And you can join the lovely patrons by going to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can get early access. You can get ad-free episodes. You can get bonus features like the outtake thing we just recorded now which is part anniversary celebration and partly the intro to our summer movie draft would you like to tell the people what the summer movie draft is real quick tim because yes it's a cool little thing that's going to be kind of running through the entire summer culminating mm. in september september the beginning yeah. of september yeah we did it last year uh we slightly tweaked the formula for this year just to to take into account what we learned yeah um and essentially it is uh, we do a draft where we each pick five films uh, in different categories. Uh, they are judged at the end of the summer based on how well they did. So some of them are based on things like box office. Some of them it's like critical reception, public reception, various other categories, including a vote that we will have up on our Twitter and possibly various other places uh, come September. 
Uh, and essentially, it's just we, we pick out films that are coming out in the UK this summer and see how well we how good we are at predicting. And the three of us compete across the various categories. Yes. Culminating in an overall winner, which last year was me. It was. Skinny as Somehow. Teeth. Oh, yeah. Absolute pure luck. <laughs> Plus Demon Slayer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that I won last year. And yeah, I'm not definitely not as confident as I was last year, this year. So mm. I in, bummed it. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, Matt might have fucked himself. Yeah, but only in one category. Yeah. You might you win also, every other category. I bummed one other category last time and Jack won. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Jack won. You're right. It, it's a lot riding on it. Who knows? It, yeah. it is a very difficult one to call. So yeah. Be exciting. If you want to get in on that, like I said, you want to listen to it and hear our picks and various different D&D themed categories, courtesy of one Mr. Tim Atom. Like I said, go to Patreon, support us on the £10 a month tier or higher, mm. and you get access to all the bonus stuff, including the movie commentaries already done. We did AVP2 Requiem the other day. Big old piece of shit, but it was fun fun <laughs> to sit around and talk with you guys. What a pile of nonsense. <laughs> I was saying... Un... Un... Incoherent trash that film is. Yeah. Agreed. I was saying to these guys that I was listening to the Star Trek Into Darkness uh, commentary track Which again. The first one we did for this season. While building a shelf. Um, so <laughs> you don't have to actually be watching the film because our stuff, we talk constantly. We do. <laughs> and if you've got a rough idea of what happens in the film, you don't want to subject yourself to it, you can hear us going, the oh, fucking... God. Oh, for crying out loud. Hats. <laughs> hats. Matt shouting yeah. out hats a lot of the time. Yeah. And we will have another movie commentary before the end of the season. That's right. Three commentaries throughout season 10, plus all the usual outtakes and all the extra bonus stuff you've come mm. accustomed to. Plus discounts on merch, plus exclusive merch. You can go and check that out on our Patreon there as well. Mm. And as I mentioned, an executive producer sent us these lovely little treats, a card. We very much appreciate you, Josh. It's a fantastic thing to do. And yeah, if you'd like to join Josh and become an executive producer and get a shout out. <laughs> and like send these, us presents. And send us presents. <laughs> you can do and join these fine folks. I already mentioned him. It's Josh Miles. Thank you, Josh, for all the lovely treats. You want me to salute that pile of walking pus? Salute my ass. James McDowell. I saw one of those things sitting in a car in D.C. trying to drive down Independence Avenue. It didn't make me want to be its friend. Jonathan Firth Clark. What the fuck is wrong with you people? They're dead! They're fucking dead, and you want to teach them tricks? Hyper Dude Man. Hi, Bob. Xenos. I'm sure there's others. Josh Van Der Sluis. Man, you pus-brain bag of shit. Colin Thompson. He's helping us more now than he ever did when he was alive. Michael Belcher. I've got better things to do than listen to this kindergarten. Are we finished here? Stuart Main. Lay off the fucking booze for a while, why don't you? Marcus Lindstrom. Sit down or so help me God, I'll have you shot. And Philip Morgan. You must listen! Listen to this. Thank you, executive producers. You make it possible. Especially if we're fueled by chocolate bars. <laughs> but yes, you do make these seasons possible. You make all the bonus stuff possible and make our extended seasons, our interseasons, all the stuff. We do this podcast because of you and your help. We very much appreciate your support. And everyone who supports us on Patreon as mm. well. So let's move away from executive producers, shall we, and talk about some fucking ghouls and zombies. 
Yeah, all right. Because they're not called zombies in the first one. No, <laughs> zombies, wasn't, zombies wasn't really a thing. It, it kind it kind of, rem- a lot yeah, of it. Romero kind of pioneered a lot of what we now know as zombies thanks to mm-hmm. things like The Walking Dead and all the kind of mm. modern things. Like I said, a bunch of remakes you mentioned earlier. Yeah. yeah. In the same way that Tolkien took from so much lore and history and mythology and made it into Lord of the Rings and our general understanding of certain fantasy fiction, Romero did a similar thing with zombie narratives and yeah. is the kind of undisputed king of it all even though in truth uh he derails himself on it quite frequently yeah. <laughs> uh but he was there at the start he was the progenitor of a lot of it and mm. um uh in in it delivered it in a way that was uh acceptably entertaining and interesting and different for the audiences at the time and also most importantly a bit of a satirical comment on things mm. he's the, the king of zombies in the way that stanley is the king of comics in that after a certain amount of time, you don't actually want to look at what he's writing anymore or producing nope. or directing. No. But you he's go, an old man with big glasses. Yeah, yeah, you go and watch all the things that are inspired by those original yeah. things that then become the modern interpretations of as, as the years go through. And this is interesting because this, this is a trilogy I think is particularly interesting to talk about because it spans three decades as well. Yeah. We start in the 60s, we go into the 70s, we head into the 80s. Um, mm. Me being born in the 90s, I did not grow up with any of these movies. I'm not much of a horror person at all. Sure. I had seen the original Dawn of the Dead years and years and years ago. I kind of did a whole, oh, I haven't really watched any horror movies. I'll go back and watch some of the classics kind of thing mm. and watch the 1978, which is the second one in this trilogy, Dawn mm. of the Dead. I also watched like silly other stuff. I mentioned my love of Brain Dead before, and, like Peter Jackson's early career and all that like over the top silly zombie bollocks. I had not seen Night of the Living Dead or Day of the Dead until about a week ago before recording this episode. So Interesting. Yes, I watched both of them. And uh, funnily enough, you can watch Night of the Living Dead on Wikipedia. It is, uh, they never put copyright stuff Co- correct. In, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. in the film credits. It and so therefore public domain. it was public domain straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is probably part of why it is so wi- was so widely seen at the time and had mm. such an impact. Because yeah. places could put it on for free. Yeah. And now the opposite of that with Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, one of the producers, I can't remember his name, is really picky about what streaming services it appears on. And it's been a whole thing of like trying to control the rights of that and all that bollocks. Mm. So Dawn of the Dead is often very hard to find on DVD and all that kind of stuff. For whatever reason, I found a triple box set very easily for (laughs) for our purposes and was able to watch all three. So that was an issue for me. But Matt, did you grow up with this kind of stuff? Did you you go back as kind of like, oh, I want to study, you know, the origins the classics. of yeah the classics that kind of thing what what was your kind of it's a good question origin story across the the dead franchise it's a really hard one to answer there's a few amalgamed memories that are just sort of mashed in there i'm afraid um so i don't think i remember the exact order per se um i think no in fact i know i watched Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and the remake of the Night of the Living Dead, probably in the, the, the same... remake in nineteen ninety. I want to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. One, yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw them all in the space of a year. I thought you were going to say a week, yeah, <laughs> like we do on this show. Sometimes we kind of. I, think... I, I watched them back to back to back. Yeah, I think it's hard for me to acquire them. Was the problem? Like mm. I said, they're very difficult to get hold of. Yeah. Well, no, this. Well, they the, were. Yeah. There's something like like VHS era yeah, or shit. Yeah. 
Um, I think the first one I... I think the first one I might have seen might have been the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Then I saw Dawn of the Dead. Right. Then I saw the original Night of the Living Dead. Then Day of the Dead. I think that's Jesus. the order it probably went in. Um, which isn't that bad, speaking you know, in terms of like how out of sync things can be. Mm. Um, and I have therefore a very controversial opinion uh, in that I think the remake of Night of the Living Dead might be a little bit better than the original we'll get into that in a moment but yeah i agree with you yeah and i know people think that's sacrilege and i'm like yeah but you know because it's a re it's, it's one of those classic like it was a remake that doesn't need to exist mm. but romero's like oh, i'm thinking of redoing the, the original oh great and he says to savini or tom savini he's he's, he's you know a guy to work on his uh art design all his stuff and the prosthetics legendary and makeup artist oh, insane. Yeah, as in yeah. prosthetics makeup yeah. artist it's like, I want you to direct it. It's like, what? But what he does with it is he brings it into the 90s in a very interesting way. He does, he upgrades a lot of the characters. Like, you know, the, the main female leader, Barbara, is no longer just a wailing, screaming mm. nonsense does the camera. nothing in the original. Pretty much. She sits there in like a, a catatonic, catatonic state yeah. for 70 of the 90 minutes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's the 60s. It's not like, saying yeah. like, you know, what, but it was radical for the fact that they had a, you know, an African-American guy and effectively the lead. We'll yeah. talk about that in a moment yeah. for sure. But then the, the sequel, bring, or the remakes are bringing in Tony Todd, much more suspense, the updated visual effects, uh, mostly being ridiculous at the start. There's a lot of really stuff, like I really think is really strong in that film. Also like, really like the, the, the score at the end, the soundtrack music. Mm. Um, but I remember seeing Dawn of the Dead and thinking, this is, Altogether amazing, far too fucking long. Mm. Um, and then so after especially that, especially if you watch the extended cut, yeah, oh god, I know that's oh, an extra 20 minutes. Never watch the extended cut of the original Night of the Living Dead because oh, yeah, there's a no. DVD version that has is this what you yeah. had to see? Yes, the, fucking ridiculous. One of the producers went back. This is the same guy, yes, who had all the control problems and stuff, and he went back like years and years later to edit in. The origin story of the original zombie, we'll get into this in the synopses, so don't yep. worry about not following what I'm talking about. There's the initial zombie they see in a graveyard at the very beginning of the movie. He gets a whole origin story about being like a child molester and stuff for some reason. And the main character of this, like, extra scenes is this weird, very 90s looking priest who kind of looks like the guy from the Church of Satan with, like, the spiky beard and stuff. Yep. <laughs> it's nonsense. It's a bunch of nonsense. And he says he can't be turned into a zombie because he loves God and his dog too much. And it sounds like I'm making this up. <laughs> he literally gets bit on the face and he's like, no, I'm fine because Jesus and isn't my dog adorable. It, it's literally like Tommy Wiseau got to add an extra half, well, half an hour, 10 it minutes is, at the start of Star it, Wars. It, it like, is, what the fuck are you doing? It yeah. is Tommy Wiseau levels of acting. These actors fucking are abysmal. fucking unbearable and not in a ironic mm. enjoyment of the room kind of way. Yeah. And a lot of people, that might be their first introduction to that film because it's for, for a lot of editions of DVDs and things, the version. They George Lucas did, basically. Like, what the fuck are you yeah. doing? But anyway, Tim, what's your experience with the Of the Dead franchise? So I saw Day of the Dead first. Whoa! Oh, whoa. No, sorry. Sorry. I apologize. I saw Dawn of the Dead. Oh, first. There we go. There we go. Uh, Same thing. Thank God. Uh, when I was around about 18 or 19, I reckon. Then I saw, uh, I saw Night of the Living Dead. I guess it would have been a, would have been about the same time. It feel 
in my memory, they're a lot further apart, but I know I saw it around the time that the Dawn of the Dead remake and... You were a bit about 20... Yeah, and, and Land, yeah. Of, the, Land yeah. of the Dead was coming out, yeah. which would have been around that period. Yeah. Um, but for some reason in my brain, they feel a lot further apart. Um, and then I didn't see Day of the Dead until a couple of days ago. There you go. Damn. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I I had seen I'd seen Dawn and I'd seen Night of the Living, and I watched the Dawn of the Dead remake and Land mm -hmm. of the Dead in the cinemas. Uh, I have not seen Diary of the Dead or Survival. whatever the other ones. Yeah, Survival of the Dead. Yeah, Survival of the um, Dead. Yeah. I've not seen the 1990 remake or Ooh. any of the other like. You've seen the Dawn of the Dead remake by Snyder, though, right? I've yes. seen the Snyder remake. Yeah. Yes, sorry, go. the Snyder remake. I've not seen the the, the Savini 1990 version. Yeah. Um, There's a Day of the Dead remake. Yes. Uh, 2008? Correct. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah, nobody cares about that one. Nope. Um, Following up, trying to follow up on the Snyder success. Mm. Yeah. It's not directed by Zack Snyder, I hasten to add. Yeah. 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 I can remember my very first encounter with the franchise was listening to the first Gorillaz album. Um, oh, and uh, I was talking to it, uh, talking about it with a friend in high school, uh, and mentioned that one of the tracks starts with someone just going, like, "Hello, is there anybody there?" Mm. Uh, and the friend going, "Oh, that's from Day of the Dead." And I was like, "How can they know that without, like, that's that's pretty, you know, ambiguous?" And then I watched it, and I was like. Okay. Oh, it's very yeah. striking. It's yeah. like one of the first things in the film. Yeah. Like after the dream initial dream sequence. Yeah. yeah. Um Yeah. So I I enjoyed these, the the ones that I saw. I enjoyed them. Yeah. But I was never I've never been like a mad zombie person. I I watched the first season of The Walking Dead and kind of bounced off it. Um so yeah. Fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really got into the Walking Dead comics for a while and then got exhausted when we hit like a hundred and something issues and kind of gave up there. I think I watched the first few seasons of the show and then again bounced off and never gone back to it. Mm. I'm with you, Tim. I'm not much of a zombie person. I know. And I know we have listeners and people in our discord that are diehard horror people as well. Mm. And it is a big deal to a lot of people. So I think we might offend a lot of people. I mean, <laughs> the fact that you and I kind of agree that the remake is better than the 68 version, Matthew yeah. is going to anger a lot of diehard horror people away. are very set in their ways. Now, I should point out, I am very a bit passionate. Of a zombie person. I mean, Charlie Brooker once said that the zombie uh, genre is the arguable, uh, or arguably the 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 genre of the antisocial, because it confirms what you've always known that people can't be trusted and. Everybody else is a problem, and you just stay the fuck away from everybody. I learned that in the pandemic, man. Yeah, our own personal version. Yes. There are great zombie films throughout history that change things up. There are comedy versions like Shaun of the Dead. There are uh, rule-changing ones like 28 Days Later. Um, there are tons of... Uh, uh, there's, there's a country's first foray into it in uh, Train to Busan. Yeah. There's so many different versions, so many different iterations. We did a whole episode on it. We had a whole episode on zombie movies previously. Truth. That was all the way back in October of 2020. That is into season 6.9. Fitting. It was, it was our Halloween episode for two yeah. years ago. And yeah, we covered a lot of different things. You mentioned Train to Busan, Shaw yeah. the Dead, all that kind of stuff. A lot of the more modern stuff. And we did delve into the history and talk about some mm. of the 
influences like Tom Zavini and mm. uh, people like Greg Nicotero, who then worked on Walking Dead. There's such yeah. a clear lineage of like people working on these incredible special effects, channeling their way down and training the next person who then trains the next generation of people. Yeah. And the fact that Romero and Savini and his team pioneered so much cool shit for these films, mm-hmm. whether you're talking in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, even through to the 90s, they're doing stuff nobody else is doing. You're getting mm-hmm. your first look at the ghouls, as they call them in the, in the first movie, mm-hmm. then through to the 70s with Dawn of the Dead, they're doing head explosions and shit like mm-hmm. that, and then a real fucking head explosion in Day of the Dead yeah. as well. Yes. Re, yeah. Rewatch, because I rewatched um, or slash watched for the first time all of them for this. Mm. And I was, yeah, it, like the the quality of the makeup and special effects is mind-blowing. Um, like, I was genuinely impressed. It looks as good as stuff that you would find nowadays. Um, yeah. In terms of execution, in terms of like... That practical effects age yeah. very well. We yeah. talk about this all the time on the show. Yeah. Yep. And you, get, you get like CGI or whatever from that period and it looks even, even later in like the 90s and we talk about yeah. that. Yeah. That horrible period of the late nineties were like, oh, we can do everything with computers, mm. and you get fucking nope. awful shit. Whereas, yeah, stuff that yeah. still looks good to this day because it was crafted and built by sculptors and yeah. masters of their crafts. Yeah, I think yeah. especially Day of the Dead, I was really impressed. Like, there's parts of that that you can't tell that it's from a film that is as old as I am. Mm. You know, mm. uh, and. But then there's also parts where you really can. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, it, it, they always seem to exist, despite being... I mean, we're talking about the original uh, Inverted Commas trilogy at this point. We won't mm. go into the, the other three yet, because yeah. I think there's going to be a sort of sub-conversation uh, or more to address a point, really. But the fact is they came in, as, as Jack said, 60s, 70s, 80s. And... It's interesting how they take on certain qualities of the time period because of technology, etc. But they still kind of feel like they exist in the same universe. You wouldn't say, like, if you told me that the Day of the, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead take place a week after one another, I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Even though some, they're decades apart. There's something weirdly timeless about them. Yes. And I think it helps that Dawn of the Dead which is 78. Yes. Is set in a mall ahead of the decade that we associate malls with. Mhm. That we kind of like it's 80s and 90s are what we think of. If you go if you go like when was the shopping mall at its height? Oh yeah. Um oh, yeah. but they get in on you know and and Dawn of the Dead is is a whole there's a whole satirical layer about consumerism and and all that kind of stuff in it very mm-hmm. famously. Um and so the fact that it's so kind of ahead of the curve in that sense mm. gives it this odd timelessness because it does feel l- almost like a film from the 80s but still looks like a film from the 70s mm-hmm. you know yeah. and it's and the fact that then Night of the Living Dead is black and white but was made in 60 68, 68 yeah. yeah um they all have yeah they all feel slightly just off kilter in terms of like when they actually are. It has that almost. I'm probably gonna get a lot of shit for this. But I don't give a shit. Has that Americana feel of something like a Rob Zombie movie, 
where it's like, when is this set? Mm. And it's like, sometime in the 70s, early 2000s. No, no, no. no. <laughs> they're very different things. Yeah. Which one is it? It's like, no, no, no. If you travel to certain parts is of America, the they're the same thing. 20th yeah. century-ish, I guess. Yeah. I it's yeah. pre-mobile phones. That's all you need to know. Yeah, that time. Because um, there are certain places in America, that, especially where these things tend to be set, mm. where it's like a little bit cut off mm-hmm. and a little bit antiquated and just all the things that you would know, like, oh, that's a really old car, doesn't mm. necessarily mean it's set in the year that car happened to be oh, no. in use because it's old farms. Yeah, there's and, an old 70s yeah. car in the 90s. Like, yeah. Huh. Uh. yeah. Yeah. yeah George, George Romero ain't getting sponsored by fucking Audi to put a <laughs> top of the range one in there no. yeah. and have Black Widow drive it. You <laughs> yeah. know? The only one that, that's why we think that these things work very well as a trilogy because once you get to uh, land dire in survival they are very much 21st century reactions to it and thanks to everything that's been going on around it i.e the release of the remake of dawn of the dead around that time etc mm. etc et and zombies becoming a more culturally accepted thing it's like give that man an actual budget yeah um and then oh we'll do a a, a, a found footage thing and then yeah. oh we'll do whatever the fuck survival is mm. with all the it's my island hello 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 and f- fucking survival yeah they <laughs> they cease to be forging a path and they start becoming reactions to mm-hmm. other stuff in cinema yeah. at that point which is yeah so so far from where the originals were because they were so ahead of their time and so so they they established the tropes of the genre and then they become a thing that is chasing after the latest trends. Yeah, I think George Romero even has a cameo. I don't know if it's him or an impersonator in one of the Call of Duty zombie yes. modes. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, well, yeah, here he is, grandfather of the zombies, basically. Precisely. Yeah. 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 I think it's interesting we're talking about like special effects and how well they've held up and how much they like. You know, he basically invented zombies as we know it with Romero's work and his all of his plans of like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this massive series was never the plan. He just kind of continued making them. Started mm-hmm. off with the trilogy and then just kind of kept going. Yep. He said he had planned to do a trilogy once he did Dawn of the Dead and it was a success. He was like, oh cool, I'll do a third one. I'll cap it off. Yeah, he went off and did uh, Creep Show and something he did. else. Yeah, a couple Knights... of bits and pieces, yeah. Yeah, yeah Night night Flyers? Night, night... Knights Riders, That's yeah, same. something yes, like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, a few other bits and pieces as well, but pretty much his magnum opus, his defining career-defining thing, is this of the dead series entirely, particularly this trilogy. And something I think a lot of people don't touch on, and something we did touch on in our zombies episode, and something that fucking Zack Snyder thoroughly missed mm. in his remake, is the inherent social commentary of these things, and the fact that Romero is actually sometimes it accidentally saying something quite interesting about the world at the time, whether that's 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Like we said, he's reacting to the stuff around him, whether that's political stuff, geographical stuff, like him moving out of Pennsylvania and like everything is set in Pittsburgh for basically Mm. his entire career and (laughs) all that kind of stuff. And then even thinking about like 9-11 and all the kind of like big moments in American history that he then reacts to in his filmmaking Mm. and all this kind of stuff. You touched on it briefly earlier, Matt, but it's something I want to touch on. Dwayne Jones playing Ben in the first movie. He is an African-American lead in a 1968 film. Mm, it's yep. basically unheard of. Mm. And, and, and in a genre film where it's not about the fact that it's 
it's Spot barely on. touched yes. on that he is a black man. Yes. Yep. Nobody. So there is potential there. You you can read it a few different ways, but you're right. Mm. The intention was never there, according to Romero himself. Dwayne Jones was just the best person to play Ben. He did yeah. not intentionally cast an African American character with an African American actor. Mm. Yep. It was like he's a former college professor, like all this kind of mm. stuff tied into that character. He's like cool. That works nicely. And Dwayne Jones just happened to be the best person for the job. Mm. Which is how casting should be most of the time. That's, the, thing, that's yeah. the thing. He did there's there's you can see it two different ways, right? He didn't actively go out of his way to tell a story about African American experiences, even though Ben's you can read a lot of the actions of the other characters to Ben mm. in certain ways. Like I said, we'll get into the season details in a second, but talking the wider kind of picture of race politics around the sixties, seventies, yeah. and eighties, yeah. especially in America is a big fucking topic we will barely scratch the surface of. Yeah, true. But the fact that, like, you know, the commentaries of, like, oh, the the white guy with his family is not wanting to hang out with the black guy and wants to, mm. like, lock himself away and hide from him and stuff, like, that would work if Ben was a white actor or, mm. a you know, a Hispanic actor or whatever, mm. but there's a little bit of extra something, an extra bit of commentary in there. The fact that Ben is black is, like... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And even the ending, which again, we'll get into the synopses in a sec, where like, oh, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Did that happen because he's black? Like, that's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Romero says, nope, that's always the planned ending. Mm. That's how these films go down. Like, okay. Yep. Yeah. But it definitely lends it a different reading. Really and adds a different, a, yeah. 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 Aspects adds to adds it. another layer to it, which I think I find fascinating. And he's continued to cast black actors and people of color throughout the series as well mm. sometimes consciously sometimes you know mm. unintentionally yes just best person with the role kind of stuff which i also find fascinating i mm. think it's a a really cool way and like we said people in that genre in the horror genre specifically people of color die first mm. it's the classic trope of like True. oh yeah it's the we're in a slasher mm. movie well the woman's going to escape and the black guy's going to die first mm. that is the thing Romero was doing interesting, like racial politics in horror movies, fucking sixty years ago. Nearly, mm. <laughs> it's mad. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Uh, should we get into some synopses though? If you're not, we should. If you're yeah. not familiar with the films, listeners, I've got three to go through. So bear with me. Mm-hmm. I've trimmed as much as I can, <laughs> including a bunch of nonsense fucking dream sequences in the third movie. <laughs> yeah, I fucking hate them. They're not important to the plot. I hasten to but add. Some are iconic. But irrelevant. I hate yeah. them. So I'll start off, like I said, in 1968 with Night of the Living Dead. Johnny and Barbara drive to a cemetery to visit their father's grave. Johnny teases Barbara, but ends up being killed by a ghoul in the cemetery. This is the aforementioned one that has a backstory in the weird <laughs> remakey thing. Mm-hmm. He's just a bloke in this. That's fine. Barbara escapes and flees to a nearby farmhouse, eventually finding its dead owner like a half-eaten old lady. Mm-hmm. Very creepy makeup. Yep. A man named Ben, as we mentioned, played by Dwayne Jones, secures the farmhouse by boarding up the windows and doors and drives away the, ghoul, drives away the ghouls with the rifle and a makeshift flaming torch. They seem to be scared of light and fire and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So mm. he, I think he like breaks off a bedpost and sets the end on fire and like swings it yeah, around. Yeah, it's like a table leg or something. I table think. leg, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It feels very... Lo-fi and budget in a cool way. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It feels like indie filmmaking, which is a weird thing to say for a film that is 54 years old at this point. It feels like a small independent movie. Well, it was. Because it it was. was. It was an independent and it was made on a 
a shoestring budget, yep. which meant it also ended up as one of the most profitable films yeah. of all time. Yeah, that and Evil Dead and Clerks doing a similar thing. We're like, we're just going to do this on our own. And you're mm. like, good. Yeah. But it'll be roaringly, roaringly successful yeah. because of how much passion's gone into it. And yeah, yeah. Apparently the house they used for this farmhouse set was mm. set for demolition. Like uh, left yeah. derelict. So they were like, do what you like with it. So all the bits they're tearing off and like nailing to doors yeah. and stuff is all totally real and they're actually just smashing up a real house. Which is fantastic. And also means Romero paid like no money for it. It's like, I get an entire house set to do what I want with. Fantastic. Yeah. They're just going to chuck it away instead. Yeah, that's a dream to have that sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. The group listens to the radio and eventually Barbara finds two other men, Harry and Tom, hiding in the cellar. Harry has his wife Helen and his injured daughter Karen. Real life couple, by the way. <laughs> And yep. real life daughter as well. Yeah. Which is biz- That's the classic sort of to like independent, like, that'll do. Yeah. You, have, you guys have chemistry, that'll do. Um, well, Tom reveals his girlfriend, Judy. Tom aids Ben in securing the rest of the farmhouse while Harry angrily protests it's unsafe before boarding him and his family into the cellar. That's the guy I mentioned earlier where he basically freaks out and says, the cellar's the most safe place, screw all mm. of you, and just hides away most of the time. Bunch of... Yo-yos or yeah. Yahoos or whatever he Yahoos, says. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ben devises a plan to obtain medical supplies for Karen, trying to save the guy's life despite the fact him being an asshole, and transports the group to a rescue centre by refueling his truck. Ben, Tom, and Judy drive to a nearby gas station, which is like some sort of near. They talk about the distance, and they're there in like two seconds, and it's all very like very dark, and you can't really yeah, see anything going around. I mean, around I think them. it's. It's rural America, so it's like a gas pump that belongs to the house kind yep, of thing. But it it's is. like yeah. near a barn that's you yep. know down the other end of the, the, the other side of the farm. Kind exactly. Of thing. Yeah. yeah. They drive to the nearby gas station and they hold the ghouls off with torches and fire. They're like climbing over the car and stuff and all that kind of thing, as you have seen a million times because so many films <laughs> were, in, were inspired by this film. Uh, Tom is a fucking idiot and just throws petrol everywhere. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, that's a pure thing. And just starts <laughs> like music. squirting it onto the car like an absolute idiot. Unsurprisingly, yeah. with all the fire and petrol and stuff, the car gets set on fire. Tom and Judy try to drive away and then realize like, oh no, the car's on fire. And then it explodes in a massive fireball and they die. <laughs> like, oh, oh, you're killing off the car. Okay, I see where this is going. They die horribly. Ben, as you said to him, because they're close by, manages to run back to the house where Harry refuses to let him back in at all. Not even mm. back in the house. He's like, you can go out there and die mm. with those guys. Ben kicks the door down and whoops some ass. Whoops some ass. Very Shatner style punches of yeah. punching a guy in the tie. <laughs> uh, grabs him by the tie and you punch your own hand and then yeah. he reacts. It's, it's 60s choreography. Like, what do you expect? Uh, but yeah, he kicks Harry's ass. Leaves him with a bleeding nose, beats the shit out of him. It's very cathartic because Harry's been an asshole this whole, entire time. The survivors gather around, listen to the radio and television reports for cannibalistic murders being mm. committed across the east coast of the United States. Armed men patrolling the countryside, killing the ghouls. Again, a really good classic uh, news report of poly- zombies happening. Oh, I can't remember the thing now. I'll find it in a second, but. There's uh, that classic way of like describing it mm. over radio broadcasts and sound logs or whatever yeah. it happens to be, but never seeing it because you can't afford to do it. Is it Pontypool, the name of the film, I'm thinking of? Mm. Oh, the, 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 like, it is Pontypool. That. Yeah. With um, 
Steve McCarty, and it's just like him on a radio show and everything's going to shit around him and yeah. he's just in that booth. Yeah. Mm. Do carry on, sorry. The news confirms that in extreme circumstances, the assailants can be stopped by removing the head or destroying the brain. To quote Shaun of the Dead. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is, they pretty much literally say that and obviously Shaun of the Dead is yeah. riffing on all of this stuff. Yes. Scientists theorize that the reanimated ghouls are occurring due to radiation from a space probe that exploded in Earth's atmosphere on its way back from Venus. They very quickly ignore all this bullshit and they're just zombies. But in this one, they are radioactive space zombies and we just don't talk about it. I mean, it's a classic, like, that's probably a theory. No. It was the 60s. We went to the moon the next year. We're all thinking about space and stuff. There's lots of probes and bollocks going on. So it's like, uh, yeah, radiation from space. Uh, Zombies. It's that classic men in black bullshit. It's like, it it wasn't a thing. It was a gas... You know, leak yeah. from yeah. a swamp. Yeah, 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 exactly. Eventually, the ghouls break through the house's barricades, and in the ensuing chaos, Harry is shot and wounded by Ben. It's a weird moment, but again, kind of cathartic. Where yeah. Harry's still being a dick, and Ben just kind of turns his gun on him and shoots <laughs> him. And like, okay, because I had thought like, oh right, if he's gonna get him, he's gonna be like, let him get got by the zombies. Just straight up shoots him. Mm. Doesn't kill him. Bear in mind, he shoots mm. him and wounds him. However, Karen dies, the kid, which is Harry's daughter, and mm. he crawls down the stairs very wounded, and she eats him. <laughs> she reanimates as a zombie, mm-hmm. as a ghoul, mm. eats her dad, and then does a weird murder with a trowel or something, <laughs> and stabs her mum with a lot of weird special effects and screaming. Yes. So yeah, the kid has gone nuts now as well, and turned into a zombie. Finally, by the fact I haven't mentioned Barbara in like 15 minutes, she recovers from her weird trauma coma from her brother mm. dying and all that kind of Actually, weird shit. The start of the movie. Which yes. again, like... Very human reaction. It's, it is a, it's a very yeah. human reaction. It's just a shame that she's like... The other two female characters are also side-lined very reactive, yeah. sidelined, and then just kind of die. Yeah, Helen doesn't mm. do much but tell off her husband yeah and judy kind of goads tom into doing stuff like yeah we should go out there tom mm. so like opposite reactions and mm. then you have barbara who's just silent on a sofa somewhere yeah. doing nothing at just the there yeah women it's the 60s women are secondary characters <laughs> pretty much sure barbara finally breaks out of her catatonic state tries to help ben but is dragged away by the reanimated johnny she's like oh johnny and basically does the whole they're coming for you barbara <laughs> which is his opening line pretty much and he does and he drags her away he's real creepy stupid yeah <laughs> as the horde takes over the ground floor ben takes refuge in the cellar where he shoots harry and helen as they reanimate themselves he survives the night and the next morning an armed posse which is like a bunch of militiamen and sheriffs basically yeah as with guns yeah seems like we're in the south that's kind of pittsburgh pennsylvania but that's that's fine guys with guns guys with guns yeah rural america doesn't doesn't really matter whether you're in the south or the north it's gonna be pretty much far enough away from civilization montana's pretty north still lots of guys with guns (laughs) pretty much not that accent but doesn't matter yeah they'll still shoot you uh, they begin dispatching the remaining ghouls. We saw them earlier on in the police reports, uh, the, the TV reports going mm. around and sort of sorting them all out and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Ben emerges from the cellar hearing like dogs barking and people being like, oh, mm. brilliant, cool. Goes out, kind of points his gun out cautiously out of the window 
And the sheriff goes, get that one. And Ben is shot in the face. Yep. Out of nowhere. All the, yeah. ca- all the characters are dead and it's depressing. And there's a really weird credit scene where it's like freeze frames of Ben's dead body. Yeah. Credits roll. And you hear all the sheriffs like talking about moving the bodies to the pile of fire and mm. the build a pile of bodies on the fire and all that mm. kind of stuff. And then it ends. It's a really fucking weird ending. <laughs> I like the fact that they kill all the characters and it's a really bold move. And yep. again, there's a lot of commentary there and seeing a bunch of militiamen and policemen see a black man and go, mm. kill that guy. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. Did they think he was a ghoul? Did Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Do they carry the way and it's just another person? Did they spot he might have been black and then, you know, may pass judgment on him mm. straight away? Mm. We don't know, but there's, there's things to unpick there, which I like. Mm. But the actual credits thing is fucking strange. <laughs> it's a weird choice. Anyway, that's Night of the Living Dead. People go into a house, bunch of zombies, they all die. Yeah. Get, yeah. Used, get used to that. <laughs> People go to a place, a bunch of zombies happen, a bunch of them die. Mm. That is these three movies. <laughs> yeah. So just to go back to the, the budget thing. So the budget was approximately $100,000 at the time. I mean, that's a lot of money now, mm. like adjusted mm. for inflation and stuff. But in the grand scheme mm. of things, that's a tiny budget. Uh, yes. It grossed $12 million domestically and Jesus. $18 million internationally, Jesus. earning more than 250 times its budget and making it one of the most profitable film productions ever made uh-huh. at the time. Uh-huh. Nice. Well done, George. Congratulations. Good on you. Yeah. I mean, he, he had a good career. He was fine. <laughs> he did all right. Like I said, legendary... People know his name. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead, 10 years in the future, in real life. Mm. Perhaps not. In the... the other thing about these, they're kind of not connected, really. They imply that they're sort of in the same universe. There is a very loose connection, yeah. which is the classic, like, oh, they're connected. It's like, no, they're not. It, I mean... There's a couple of consistent actors throughout the series that pop up a couple of different times. Yeah. But nothing that's like, oh yeah, we talked about the events of the previous film on a newscast or anything like no. that. It's kind of there is a zombie apocalypse, and it does get worse and worse and worse. Like time progresses. Mm. This is the beginning of it in Night of the Living Dead. Then it's progressed further in Dawn, and then we're well into it when I get to Day. Yeah. So there's a sense of time passing there. The first three Mad Max films. Yeah. Imagine if Mad Max didn't return in two and three. Yeah. It was just another camp that happened to be somewhere in Australia. And the third one's about this weird town and these kids. And Max is not the, the sort of weird wanderer who yeah. observes yeah. all this stuff. You'd be like, they're set in the same apocalyptic universe. Mm. Yeah. But there's no direct correlation in terms of this character now goes on the journey and is the, the, you know, the wanderer or the person who's yeah. chronicling this for the audience. Yeah. The, wor- the world is more important than the characters. Yes, um, very true. In terms of, yeah, sustaining and, and crossing across the thing. Yeah. On to Dawn of the Dead from 1978. Arguably one of the best sequels of all time. Yes. Surpasses the Exactly, original. yes, very yeah. much so. The news informs us that millions of people have died and reanimated as zombies. Despite the government's best efforts, social order is collapsing. It's the classic opening, and it's a fucking brilliant opening, by the mm. way. All the news reports and all the kind of like, if you've ever seen that in any kind of zombie thing, this is what this is referencing, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Whether that's the Night of the Living Dead newscast style or this, where you're kind of going through and obviously the remake does this in a, a questionable way. But yeah, I'd I'd forgotten that the opening was set at 
the TV station. Yes. And it's like the chaos and bedlam there yeah. as they're trying to work out like you can't like you can't put that information up. It's no longer accurate. Like these safe zones are no longer safe. It's like, well, if we don't have the safe zones up on the TV, people are just gonna flick over to another channel. It's like that doesn't matter anymore. Like ratings don't matter. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, yeah, it puts you in that world so immediately. Yeah. And you can already see that it's like people's like hanging on to the old way way yeah. of doing stuff and their petty yeah. stuff from previous, you know, from the the the, the pre apocalypse is fucking up their reaction to to what's happening yep. now it's such a brilliant opening agreed it's maybe my favorite scene in the movie it's like it's such a brilliant mm. opening uh world building setting establishing kind of thing and we are at wgon tv <laughs> we're gone we're gone mm. it's a television studio in philadelphia because we're always in philadelphia it's george romero you'll learn mm. that soon listeners mm. everything is philadelphia pennsylvania we meet traffic reporter Stephen, a.k.a. Flyboy, <laughs> the best name, and his pregnant girlfriend, Fran, and they are planning to steal the station's helicopter to escape the city, as you do. There's also a lot of helicopters in these movies. Budget. Well. Yes. Budget, indeed. Production value. Mm. Across town, a police SWAT officer, Roger, and his team raid a housing project. People of colour. Hello. Lots of tenants. Lots of poor people, lots of people of colour. Social commentary once again. Mm -hmm. There is a real piece of shit police officer who uses the N-word and a bunch of other horrible shit. And uh, yeah, thankfully, Roger tries to stand up to him. Doesn't go too well. But thankfully, another officer steps in, Pete, and takes this dude out. They then go through and clear out the rest of the zombies. They are called zombies now, by the way. We're now officially in zombie territory. A decade has passed. Not ghouls. Yes, it's been 10 years exactly. Uh, Roger feels very disillusioned after all of this. The horrible racist dude, his colleague, all the zombies feeling just very uncomfortable with the whole thing. And he basically says, Pete, fuck this, let's go. My friend Stephen's planning to escape the city. We've already met. Let's get on the helicopter. Let's get the fuck out of here. The four of them meet up later that night and leave Philadelphia in the helicopter. End of movie, problem solved, sorted, here we go. <laughs> Day Great, of the Dead. Greatest zombie <laughs> movie ever made. Uh, while stopping to fuel, they come across a shopping mall. If you've ever seen a shopping mall, whether that's in The Simpsons or a bunch of other things mm. in film, even thinking video games. Hello, video game people. Dead Rising. Dead, Dead Rising, rising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Set in a shopping mall. I mean, Resident for a Evil. Fucking reason. The first game was very inspired by Night of the Living Dead being people are stuck in a house. Stuck in an old house. Yeah. Exactly. They find a shopping mall and decide to remain there since it's easy to fend. It's full of supplies. Makes sense, right? It's a, it's a really smart choice. It is. It is. Mm. It's become a cliche now, but this was cool shit back yeah. in the 70s. It's a big concrete compound. Yeah. Why wouldn't we yeah. go there? And it's also got like a weird little like civil defense bunker in it. It's yep. got yep. like. Supply like it was actual... the Cold War, Tim. Of course it did. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> That's pretty much what Romero said. Apparently, it was like he picked that because it was a, an interesting setting, but mm. also because of the period. Again, it's all these little sprinklings mm. of commentary mm. about politics at the time, and this film is full of commentary on like the commercialism of the seventies and stuff yep. like that. Let alone how we are in the twenty twenties. We won't go into that. Be at a fucking Amazon warehouse if we shot it in the 2020s. Oh my god! And there'd be some fucker who works there insisting that people still carry on working. carry on working. Yeah. 
keep pissing into your bottles in the corner and <sighs> we really need you to come in today we're really short stuffed yeah. I don't care that you're dead yeah we're told to work from home I don't care mm. I think that's really letting down the team yeah. yeah you're not a team player we've lived through a pandemic ladies and gentlemen well so far <laughs> the ongoing far. pandemic yeah anyway uh, that would be the perfect it, my, um, spoilers everybody I'm fixing that one imagine I'm like set the entire plot and it's like there's no zombies it's like no there are definitely zombies out there no there aren't and it's, you're impinging on my rights I'm going out there there's nothing but Karens <laughs> yeah just we've gone ghouls to zombies as to far Karens. as the eye can see yeah uh, Peter and Stephen camouflage the entrance to the stairwell which leads to their safe room they build like a little safe room for them all uh, and they block them all entrances with trucks and debris and stuff to basically try and mm. keep the dead out of it mm-hmm. uh, while securing them all Roger gets bit and tries to hide it because of course he does after clearing them all of zombies they all have a bunch of fun they just run around into a it's that bit from the Simpsons if you know that episode of the Simpsons where Bart and Milhouse just go nuts in a mall well, it's it's the it's the um, Lord of the Flies. Yeah, it's the we well, haven't got parental supervision. It's like yes, yeah, society's yeah. collapsed, and I can now just run a just loot and have fun, and eat mm. stuff, yeah. and wear stuff, and and it's also like, you know, part of the commentary here is that Romero zombies aren't they're very. If you've only ever seen the Snyder Dawn of the Dead, the zombies in that are very aggressive obviously like they, it was the, the 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 fast zombies and that kind of stuff yeah. around that time but they're also like they're constantly like trying to get in and like attack people the zombies in the 78 dawn of the dead they're just kind of sad yeah um they're, they're uh, more tragic figures than yeah. they are most like, of our lives now yeah yeah there's an again touching on the commercialism just like oh you're just going through the motions you go to the mall because you always go to the mall. Yeah. And they actually touch on this in the films as well, where through when we get to Day of the Dead, it's a key part of the plot. But even in mm. this one, zombies carry on doing their like day-to-day basic shit, mm. even if they're zombies. Like, oh, you always went to the mall on a Wednesday, so you as a zombie mm. go to the mall on a Wednesday. Just yeah. this weird like muscle memory thing. Like you said, mm. we're kind of the, the, the ghouls of our previous selves and all this mm. kind of stuff. Mm. And and it, it means that once the survivors have kind of taken care of the initial stuff, they've blocked off the entrances, et cetera, et cetera, they are kind of in a stable place. And really There's not it's, huge hordes like it's not no. day Z where they're trying to smash down the whole thing and like yeah. pile up corpses and smash through buildings and shit. It's yeah. Like, they'll just kind of shuffle about a bit and Yeah. Bump into stuff, yeah, and, with their grey faces, and it's you know, it's uh, it's the human drama, it's the human fuck up, both internal and external, that causes that safe bubble to collapse. Yep. So, there, yes. so there is a period where it's just like, yeah, the middle just, of this movie is them just hanging out and having yeah. some fun. Yeah, Which, it's, it's usually the middle episodes of a Walking Dead season. Yes, yeah. where there's no yeah. actual peril. Oh, we got a farm. Let's happens. all hang out on a farm. Oh no! What's in the barn? <laughs> what do you mean? What's in the barn? Why would you say that? We're having a great time on a barn. We're just in a farm. We're just hanging out on the farm. Shut Don't up, brother! Is my daughter in that barn? Shut the fuck up! <laughs> anyway, eventually, Roger, poor Roger, succumbs to his bite, mm-hmm. and Pete has to kill him. Legit good, mm. like zombie succumbing to the bite kill yeah. thing that is like 
I could see the influence straight away in so many moments I've seen since then of like, mm. you just got to do it, man. You got to take him out and all that kind mm. of that. Yeah. Somebody's been bitten and we're in our safe mm. little haven, but we need to do something about this. Genuinely really good stuff. And I think, you, like you said, Tim, the humans are so central to this because they bring the emotions and all mm. that kind of stuff to contrast the kind of sad existence of the mm. zombies. It's a really genuinely well-acted good moment between mm. these two that seem to really care about each other. And a thing that they emphasise kind of a lot at the beginning and, and, and a little bit throughout is their talk, especially when they're like tuning into the TV stations that are still going and stuff like that when they're, when they're still operating. We'll get to that in a moment. Is that the, one of the major problems that seems to have allowed the, the zombies to spread is people not wanting to kill them because they think they can bring them back or they think that they can, you know, they're, they can't they're, kill their loved ones. Yeah, exactly. They still they're, see them they're, now, holding, yeah. they're holding on to that attachment, which obviously is completely understandable, but it's also like, yeah, that's, that's how they get you. That's not, not your mom anymore. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's, it's people's very understandable emotional reaction to it that, that is causing the problems. Yep. Um, Mm -hmm. eventually as you just hinted at Tim the emergency broadcast transmissions stop implying that the world is over and civilization has crumbled governments are crumbling all that kind of shit basically they feel truly isolated and they realize like well we got to do something we get some supplies the three of us will get in a fucking helicopter and see what we can do basically uh, Stephen being flyboy can fly the helicopter. He teaches Fran as like a backup, which is a really clever idea because so oh, many yeah. times oh, yeah. you see the fucking we got to protect the pilot man. Mm. Oh, oh yeah, we've got to make sure we protect yeah. the pilot at all costs. That yeah. is the mm. only person that can save all of our lives. Mm. Oh, he got bitten. Oh, no. Mm. Like, and she she insists on it, which is a really nice exactly note in there as well. Yeah. Female characters have agency, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It's a breakthrough, mm. even in the 70s. Um, a biker gang led by Tom Savini, no less, yeah. with his long hair and questionable moustache. Does, doesn't have his uh, gun penis from, from dusk till dawn. Not no. yet. Not yet. No. Uh, they see the helicopter and break into the mall, destroying the barriers and allowing all the fucking zombies in. Because they're just, just Mad Max dicks. instruments of chaos, basically. Yeah. yeah. They like throw pies in the zombies' faces and like hit them with toys and stuff, and mm. they're just—they're yeah. in the best fucking time. Yeah, it's, it's Tallahassee in fucking Zombieland. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. he's been Absolutely. living for this moment. They're like, yeah. Yeah, "Great, no more." Finally, we yeah. need to be assholes. Pretty much. Uh, Stephen understandably feels threatened by them, shoots at them, and they have a big fight in the mall. Basically, um, unfortunately, Stephen does get shot. I miss Steve. He's my favorite character. I like Flyboy a lot. <laughs> uh, he eventually reanimates and does some fantastic zombie acting. I'll say that right now. He then goes back to the safe room because, as we were just saying, that's where he considers home now. They've been living there for a while. And his basic instinct, not that basic instinct, his primitive instinct, brain of the zombie is like, well, I need to go back home and do the thing I always do. So he leads all the fucking zombies <laughs> back to the safe room. 
It's really clever. It's really clever. Yep. Genuinely innovative. And it's a thing I've seen not copied a bunch of times. And that's what makes it really clever. This is why Dawn of the Dead is so revered and so brilliant. Um, yeah, so they leave back and unfortunately leaves, uh, leads them back to Fran and Peter. Peter kills Stephen again. A really nice moment there where they finally have to put Stephen out of his misery. And Fran tries to escape to the roof to try and get back to the helicopter. Peter doesn't want to leave. He locks himself in a room, does the whole puts a gun to his head thing, thinks about suicide. There's an alternate ending. We'll get to that in a second. That's very dark. Um, then everything's fine. He changes his heart, fights his way to the roof where he finds Fran. They escape. They get on a helicopter, even with low fuel, and fly off to uncertain futures. The original ending had them both dying. <laughs> he blows his brains out, and her head gets cut off by the helicopter blades. Oh, shit. And fun fact, this is maybe my favorite little fun fact, the, <laughs> they created a prosthetic of Fran, the mm. actress who plays Fran, to do the helicopter blade explosion of the head thing. Mm. And they also had a zombie earlier on in the film. Yes, because it happens to a zombie when they're refueling. They're, for, they're foreshadowing her yeah. death that then was changed while filming. Mm. But they'd already built the prosthetic of her head and she is the person whose head explodes. It's that cast of her head that is used for the head explosion in the SWAT thing at the beginning. Brilliant. Nice. Yeah. And they tried all these different explosives. They were like doing those little explosive patches and like trying to put plastic explosives in there and this like combination of that like ballistic gel and all kinds of things and just wasn't working. And then one of the team was like, I've got an idea and just laid on the floor behind it and shot it in the back of the head with yeah. an actual shotgun. Yep. Like that, uh, Scanners, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Same thing. Scanners. It's like classic filmmaking thing of like, tried so many ways. Should I try the unsafest way possible? Like, how do we get an actual reaction? Just do it. How about a lie on the floor yeah. with an actual shotgun? Yeah. And yeah, Scanners, for those of you who don't know, if you've ever seen a head explosion gif that's like <laughs> yeah. super gory and crazy, it's from Scanners. Or... It's this one from Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Because they're the two iconic, arguably the two best gory head explosions in the history of cinema. Mm. And as you said, Matt, it's just, I mean, just fucking shoot it with a shotgun, I guess. Like, yeah. Because sometimes those things. That's what happens when yeah. heads get shot with shotguns. Sometimes they, you go around the road and think, well, this isn't going to work because, you know, oh, it looks so cool. I'll shoot this barrel of, of fluid. It's like, uh, fluid being like gas or petrol. Like, yeah, it doesn't do what you think it does. Mm. Um, Unless you have incendiary rounds for some reason. Yeah, there may be a, like a, a million to one kind of shot with the ricochet, maybe, but mostly yeah. you just got to punch a hole in the barrel. Um, yeah. There's no explosive barrels like in video games. Exactly. Unfortunately. That being said, sometimes you take a shotgun to something, it's like, oh, wow. It's like, <laughs> it's a shotgun, motherfucker. <laughs> I, I have never been hunting myself. I'm a lifelong vegetarian. <laughs> I'm the wrong person sure. to be talking about this, but I've heard growing up in Norfolk, there's a lot of farmers and hunters and all that kind of stuff mm. around. Uh, don't hunt small things with shotguns. Like if you hunt a rabbit with a shotgun, you basically just explode it into a puff of yeah. Gore there's two different. There's, like, there's buckshot and there's the other kind of shot, which is the other, I think slug. Slug. Yeah. Yeah. And there's Solid a, slug. Yeah. Yeah. And so some things you can go like like a really loose scattering of like if you hit like a bird, it's going yeah. to be fine. Yeah. Um, because you're going to basically you're going to bruise it quite significantly, but it'll be dead. As opposed to oh, I'm going to take this thing out and it'll be literally powder. Yeah. And you're like oh. 
that's what happens with these head explosions. Mm. Anyway, fun fact, there was a really dark, depressing ending and Romero went, ah, I don't know, maybe we should do something. He made the it. right call. Yeah. I'm glad they survived because Ken Forey is a fucking oh, he's badass. Ken Forey is fucking fantastic. When I, I told you about I saw all this stuff in the same year, right? Mm. Same year? No. No, no. A couple of years after, I'm going to get my mm. timeline in my head, mm. watching things like Keenan and Kel. Yeah. Yeah. This dad guy sounds really fucking familiar. Yeah. If only he had hair. Wait, how time works? <laughs> <laughs> there's no IMDb back then. Shit, they go, oh my God. He's the guy. Oh my God. Yeah. I just think people might do that to you, Matthew. Wait, yeah. he had hair? <gasps> he's, a, he's that guy from that thing. Oh, it's more than no, that. If they met me uh, separately, enough, thought, you these two hair. people can't be the yeah. same person. Yeah. I've, seen, oh my God. I've seen young pictures of Matthew and I would not recognize. No. No beard, no mustache. Foppish hair. Yeah. Yeah. If we were to person. line me and my past self up side by side, it'd be two entirely different human beings. Mm. I basically look the same, except I was clean shaven and had you long do. hair. But my face has basically not changed, mm. which is Tim weird. hasn't fucking changed. No. no. Same dude. Just unaging. <laughs> yes. Very much so. On to 1985, Day of the Dead. Yes. There's a bunch of dream sequence bollocks. I'm going to focus on the main plot because I'll be here forever. I've got three fucking movies to do. So bear with me. Yes. News reports. Again. <laughs> Welcome to news reports. Inform us that the zombie apocalypse has ravaged the entire world. Previously, it was the United States. Now it's the entire world. Confirmed. Mm -hmm. With zombies outnumbering humans 400,000 to one. They give Whew. a very specific stat there that is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to make that work in That's my head. It's the end like, of uh, the world. Yeah. Yes. That's... That's for every, you know every that one of us, no one can count that anymore. For every one of us, that's three populations of Norwich of <laughs> zombies. Sounds about right. Yeah, that's just the population. Feels like it sometimes <laughs> with the voting public. I mean, what? <laughs> the surviving humans live within barricaded camps and secure underground bunkers as much as they can. But that's about it. In an underground facility in the Everglades, we're in Florida now, folks. We're outside yes. of Pennsylvania. There's a gator. Scientists are trying to find a solution to the zombie pandemic. The soldiers have been assigned to protect them. This film is all about the basic dynamic between some soldiers, some scientists in a facility. Oh, yeah. It's classic military who's getting antsy and wants to kill things versus scientists want to experiment. And you're like, what's the point in experimenting? Kill them all kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. It's a classic cliche. But it's a good one. And yeah, has been built on many times since then. Precisely. But this is one of the earlier versions of it. Anyway. Uh, Dr. Sarah Bowman and her boyfriend Miguel, radio operator Bill, and helicopter pilot John fly from their underground base to Fort Myers, Florida, in an attempt to find more survivors. They find a lot of zombies. And a gator. And a gator. Not a zombie gator. That would have been cool. Yeah. Just a gator. That would have been I've, just, I've just done some quick maths, and if the, if the figures that they give in that film are correct, it would mean that there are approximately only 12,000 people left alive on Fuck. the entire planet. Fuck me. And God damn, all in China. And around about 4.8 billion zombies. Jesus. Based based on the, the global population in, in 1985. And, and, no, valid, valid. I was going to yeah. say, and bear in mind, they've been killing zombies yeah. for 10 years at this point, however yeah. <laughs> long. So those numbers are smaller, so it's probably only a few thousand people yeah. to a billion zombies or whatever it is. That's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, it's a wonder of why you try at that point. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, kind of just give up. Um... Like I said, they find a large horde of the undead and they return to their base where they are told that the base's military leader 
Major Cooper has died. Power struggle. In comes the power struggle. Uh, the head of the scientists, a guy called Dr. Logan, which they call Frankenstein, because he's terrifying and evil, and is dissecting zombies and stuff in very gruesome ways, uh, believes that zombies can be made docile through training and like conditioning and stuff. He keeps a collection of captive zombies for use as test subjects. We'll get to that later on, that becomes important. Uh, and as you said, Matthew, the tension between the soldiers and the scientists worsens in the face of dwindling supplies and the dangers of these captive zombies. Basically, all the soldiers are like, don't keep them alive, fuck them, we need to kill them all. Mm. And the scientists supposedly are trying to find the cure and solve all the problems. Yes. Uh, a guy called Rhodes, who is now the leader, he basically declares himself as the leader of the military side mm. of things in the absence of his former commanding officer. Yep. He takes command and announces he will execute anyone who disobeys, anyone who tries to leave, and basically puts a clock on all of the scientists to say, hey, solve this shit or you're gone, and goes to the extremes, to say the least. He is a pretty pretty hardcore villain in this piece. He is kind of a, a very... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Pretty I th- extreme. I think, I think he's, yeah, pretty transparently. When he starts threatening people to... Sit down, sit back down, and listen to him, or he will get someone to shoot them. Yes, yeah, he's pretty, pretty. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and he threatens to abandon the scientists as well if they don't solve their problems. There, mm. we're all going to fuck off, and you'll lose all your protection, all that yeah. kind of stuff as well. Uh, shaken by Rhodes' threats, Sarah goes to John and Bill, where John professes his conviction that the zombie apocalypse is some—it's a form of divine punishment. It's God punishing us all, basically. Uh, he suggests three of them should just grab a helicopter hello helicopter again and abandon the soldiers and fly off to a deserted island Dr. Logan tries to secure Rhodes' goodwill by showing him the results of his research he has a friend, pet, zombie whatever the fuck you want to call it called Bub Mm -hmm. good old old Bub Uh, he is a friendly zombie who remembers some parts of his past life here we go, expanding on this this will become key uh, he does stuff like listening to music, and he can wave and salute and stuff. He does vaguely human things, which is an interesting development, and I think a really nice yes. build on mm. what we kind of touched upon there in the Dawn of the Dead stuff of like, oh, we're all zombies going to the mall. Commentary on commercialism. Mm. Whereas, like, who's the aunt on the phone? Um, he's trying to basically he's trying to show Rhodes. Oh yeah, show Rhodes yep, that yep. Aunt Alicia or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's like. Who's on the phones? You're out of nature, that kind of thing. And he, he's like, no, it's nothing. And then he slowly like puts the phone receiver to his neck. It's that muscle memory yeah. stuff. And yeah. something that Land of the Dead actually deals with really fucking well yes. as well, because it builds on these things. Which, to be honest, they've had from the start. Even in the first film, there's zombies using weapons occasionally. Yep. Yes. Towards the um, end, they start picking up. They pick up yeah. the old table, they like learn. we mentioned earlier, yeah. and start like bashing down the doors and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And it's kind of fascinating watching that now and contrasting it to where the zombie genre went um especially mm. in the 90s and the 2000s and you ended up with stuff like left for dead where it's like well our zombies have superpowers this yeah, one yeah. explodes this, and this is a teleporting one this, this one's got a... a big tongue and yeah. stuff like that and it's like no you just make them a little bit smarter but then yeah. that humanizes them and you start mm. going are go. we right to be killing these things As, and a lot of the like take the thing that one of the big inspirations for the original Night of the Living Dead is I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. Mm. With the, as we know, greatest twist in cinematic history. The dog is a girl. Samantha the dog. Yeah. 
I don't know why you're singing that weird tone, because it is. <laughs> Shut up, Matthew. Some bitches. Nobody asked you. Um, <laughs> no, but so the, the inspiration there is, spoiler alert for a, what, 80-year-old book at this point, whatever it is, the zombies are smart, and they're kind of rebuilding humanity and rebuilding yeah. civilization and stuff. They don't want to be cured. Yeah. It's actually worked out pretty well, and that has been played upon many times as well. You've seen these kind of like, oh, there's the smart zombie that can talk and is leading the other zombies and all this mm. kind of stuff. They're playing with these little things back in the 80s, which I very much appreciate. Yes. Anyway, we have Bub, we have Logan, etc. But Rhodes, the military man, is not impressed. He's expecting big results and he's getting small results. So yeah. During a mission, a zombie escapes its harness and Miguel, the useless idiot Miguel, <laughs> loses his focus and two of the other soldiers die. Miguel tries to fight it off. He gets bit because of course he does. Uh, and he basically tries to just freak out and run away. Yep. Sarah goes after him, him being his, her, her, her boyfriend. It's a whole thing. Sarah's great. He's useless. It's the whole classic 80s dynamic, shall we say. Um, with John and Bill's help, Sarah amputates Miguel's arm and cauterizes it. <laughs> Makes me in a way deep, that you deeply hold uncomfortable. A lighter to a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm like, oh, it's like, no. No. It slowly cooks. Yeah. yeah. It's quite uh, funny. Trying to stop the spread of infection, as you would with like a gangrenous limb or whatever. Uh, Rhodes then calls off the experiments and demands all the captive zombies be destroyed because he's losing good men, goddammit. Sarah and Bill discover that Logan had been experimenting on the remains of the dead soldiers. Well, there's a twist. Uh, better twist than Samantha the dog. And an audio recording of him rambling to himself through some wires plugged into Johnson's severed head. Johnson being one of the soldiers. Yes. He's basically like using their dead vocal cords and it's all real gross and yeah. uncomfortable for Mad them. scientist shit. Mad scientist shit. They're calling him Frankenstein for a reason. Rhodes finds out about this and finds out also that he's been feeding the flesh of his dead soldiers to Bub. As a reward for like, yeah. oh, you did a good thing. You picked up the phone. Here's a bit of human flesh for Here's you. Here's a little treat. Here's a little treat. Enraged, and I mean enraged, Rhodes goes off the fucking rails, kills Logan, and basically gathers up all the remaining scientists. He tries to get John to fly him and his soldiers away to abandon the scientists, tell them all to fuck off, basically. And John refuses to do that. So... He locks Sarah and Bill inside the zombie-like corral area with a bunch of zombies and gets one of his soldiers to beat the shit out of John while we're at it. Mm -hmm. Back in the lab, Bub manages to escape from his chains. Turns out the hero's Bub, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's the hero of the piece. If you've seen the posters, uh, the most recent re-releases, yes. <laughs> it's very fucking apparent. Yeah. He's the hero. <laughs> uh, he finds Logan's corpse in a display of human emotion. In many ways. Mm, almost. Human. Human. <laughs> <laughs> he mourns the loss of his friend, owner, instructor, mentor. Whatever, mentor. Lover. <laughs> Lover. Um, father. 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 <laughs> it's a more convincing relationship than Vickers and Wayland in Prometheus. Uh, <laughs> uh, he then picks up a gun which will very much be explored in Land of the Dead, which we'll not be covering. No. But they do it a lot in Land of the Dead. Uh, picks up a gun and goes on a revenge hunt to go and kill it. Love it that the hero is suddenly the zombie. Mm -hmm. 
Brilliant. Uh, meanwhile, a suicidal Miguel, fucking Miguel, heads off to the outside fence where he opens the gate and just lets all the fucking zombies Yeah, I don't in. get what Miguel is... He's just there to cause trouble in the yeah. script, I guess. That is one of the weakest <laughs> elements of this film for me. Agreed. Miguel. Yeah. He's, it's like, we need a chaotic element. And you're like, I get it. But He's, also, we're so long into this madness now that you feel like chaotic elements take a different form than just, oh, oh, yeah, you, oh. Yeah, you'd also feel like... Die in a week, motherfucker. They'd mm. maybe, like, have... Like, there's a whole bit where they're like, you know, oh, he's been bitten, you know, oh, well, we've cauterized it, it's not going to spread. Well, you know, we don't know, where are we going to put it? And it's like, have you not thought of this contingency that, like, someone might get bitten, but you, you Scientific might minds and military minds, this must be a tactician among you somewhere. Yeah. Have you not got anywhere that you could lock this guy up and check that he doesn't turn into a zombie, you know, and monitor yeah. him? You know, you've got all these other, you've got all these other places where you're, like, experimenting on zombies. Yeah. Like, they look like have like pens. a quarantine yeah. area or something. Yeah. 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 He Bullshit. opens the gate, lets all the fucking zombies in, and then just gets torn apart and horribly eaten. Mm. Yeah. yeah. He's just kind of bugged out at this point. He is. He is. Um, and yeah, he presses the release button, <laughs> which opens the fucking gate and lets them directly into the base, even outside of the main area. They yeah. get properly inside. Because it's not, it, that's the thing. It doesn't even seem like he's just like overwhelmed with PTSD and is just. He seems actively. He seems like chaotic. he's trying to fuck yeah. over yeah. the yes. other people. Like yes. he's deliberately causing yeah. chaos. Maybe, like you said, Matt, it's like we're at the point where there's like 10,000 people in the world. Yeah. And somehow we have that stat in the news reports. I don't yeah. quite know how they've done that calculation. He's the kind of crazy but person. But he's like, fuck it. Who doesn't make it through the first couple of days? Yeah. Yes, because he of these stupid for, antics. Survive for years and years, and yeah. then yeah. suddenly all. I mean, you can, you can always snap. You can always go crazy. Mm. Sure, sure. You know, yeah, maybe. But also at the start of the film, he doesn't seem anywhere near. Like there, there's his a escalation point, like, to crazy is pretty, yeah, yeah. It's yes. like oh, he's yeah. tired. You need to get some rest and stuff. But then he's just like, now I'm gonna now I'm to kill everyone. But yeah. he's not maliciously trying to kill everyone. He's just out of his mind. Yeah, I'm just a, just a little bit crazy, sir. Just a little of his mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John fights back against soldiers, steals a gun, tries to rescue Sarah and Bill. Rhodes leaves his men behind, because of course he does. He's a terrible piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Bub finds him and shoots him. Good old Bub. He's the hero. Mm -hmm. uh, Rhodes tries to escape, runs into a huge fucking group of zombies. Yeah, lots of grabbing, as Matt just demonstrated there. I, I lurched forward with hands. Lots of bleh. Because it's a sort of cyclical nation notion from the start with dream sequences yep. where they're like, oh, hands coming through the walls. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's shot in the stomach by Bub. Apparently the most painful place to get shot. Bub knew what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, Bob, Bub then does the salute that he did earlier. Yes. Like taking the piss out of Rhodes, which is brilliant, <laughs> as zombies tear Rhodes apart. John, Sarah, and Bill finally manage to get to the surface and fly the helicopter away to a deserted island. As John suggested earlier on in the movie, the end. Escape on a helicopter. <laughs> As every film ends with escape and a helicopter, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. And there we go. That is the trilogy summarized in like two thousand words across <laughs> three movies, or something like that. No, it's, it's a good. And, and the thing <sighs> is, you notice we didn't rip into the third one too much. 
No, because I, it's not that bad. I think it's mm. fine. It's just that as with a lot of these things, it follows Night of the Living Dead and Dawn mm. of the Dead. That is the problem. It feels weirdly... It, it's interesting because there's there's quotes about how George Romero wanted it to make it his... It, it was gone with the wind of, of zombie films. Yeah. Or yes. yeah. It feels... Uh, apart from some opening bits when they're exploring the city um, at the very beginning, yeah, it feels smaller in scale than Dawn of the Dead does in a lot of ways. That is very true. I agree. Um, so much of it is in the underground complex, like 85, 90% of the film yep. is down underground. It's in corridors and rooms. It's corridors yeah, yeah. and rooms, which obviously the shopping mall mm. has a lot of corridors as, as well. But it's also the stores and stuff like that, and you mm. get you you get the sense of the scale of the place. Yes, with all the zombies moving around the thing. This is so claustrophobic, um, which in a way is good because the, yeah, you, you, you can definitely make, play with that, right? You yeah. can mm. make that uh, a uh, a benefit to the film, especially if you're trying to crank up the tension. But it it feels at odds with what the initial idea for the film was, where it's like this is the big fucking you know the biggest zombie story we can possibly tell and then it ends up being about 12 people mostly trapped underground like snarking at each other because their 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 tensions are completely you know their 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 nerves are completely frayed and everyone's going crazy Mm. and that's a good film but it also yeah it feels like it's pulling in a couple of different directions yeah i totally agree i think yes the fact that dawn of the dead is the iconic one that's the one that's been Mm. ripped off so much the mall trope and all that kind of stuff that has been done so many times. Mm. It's just such a, a much more interesting setting than an underground lab, basically. Yeah, because mm. there's no, there's no there's humanity no, like, yeah. to the lab. There's you know, a coldness, it's... and and the the mall plays on like you were saying earlier, Tim. That like, oh, that's our connection to the outside world. That's our previous life. There is, there's the variety of the shops, literally in sense of like. Mm. You can shoot in different places from a filming perspective, yeah. But also the fact that it ties into those themes of like this is what your life was like before. You can go and play golf. Mm. You can wear these clothes. All this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You get that connection to the previous world where Day of the Dead feels really cold in its setting to me. Where mm. it's like, like you said, oh, it's probably like a dozen named characters in the entire movie, including one of the fucking zombies, <laughs> and then occasionally name a soldier like oh there's johnson and mm. there's some other guy or whatever yeah. but his, that's his, about it the arsehole one with the really annoying laugh there you go exactly yeah whereas you really get a sense of the scale of the mall and mm. how much it means to them as like they're like safe haven kind of thing whereas Rhodes is like fuck it we'll leave the facility we'll leave you guys behind and yeah. all this mm. kind of stuff they're like why haven't you already mm. you tell them to fuck off then yeah it's one of those moments that <sighs> It's my biggest bugbear with Day of the Dead is kind of the world building. Yeah. Because obviously what you're trying to get towards is if he had the, I wouldn't say the budget, but the scope to do it, say, is certain elements of The Walking Dead and other bits and pieces mm. that emulate the same sort of thing. Um, there is a CDC thing in The Walking Dead and yeah. there's a mm. whole underground facility there as well. And- but it still implies that there's order and structure. Mm. I mean, when in the second film, one thing I thought like would watch from Dawn of the Dead, I was like, oh my God, yeah everything's fallen apart. You know, it's clear that there's no going back. The, and, you know, biker gangs run free. What does this world look like next? And it's mm. like, turns out, kind of the same. Mm. Why is there a military and scientist? I mean, again, obviously you have pockets of people who are surviving. I am legend style. Like, oh, obviously there's, you know, yeah. um, I'm still carrying out the work effectively. Mm. Um, 
But who's reporting to anything? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 yeah. The, the implication it, of hierarchy means th- nothing. There's a point where they go like, I'm not being paid enough for this shit. It's like, hey, we're not being paid anything. And it's like, yeah, you aren't. Why are you, Why are you still here? Yeah, arbitrarily like, following Rhodes' orders when he's clearly a psychopath. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. pretty objectively evil. And they're all just like, well, we're on his side. Like, yeah. Just fucking mutiny and throw this guy out. Like, yeah. yeah. You would you, save a lot of hassle and you could all just e- hang you out. You all have guns. Yeah. E- yeah. Either there should be a lot more of a breakdown in the sense of like the hierarchy of the military, mm. or you should get. Oh, the like, I understand why they have the the commanding officer killed off at the start because then it's like that power vacuum and like who's in charge? Like, oh, this new guy. This is what disrupts the what has previously been a working relationship. But you feel like if they have maintained that order for that long, the person in charge has got to be some like almost like a cult leader, especially on the military yep. side, to be like, I am keeping you in line. Like, yeah, it it has to be this kind of almost the force of their personality has to be maintaining that sense of order when the rest of society has fallen away. Yeah, and you don't get that sense at all because, like we say, Rhodes is such an asshole. You just you spend the whole time going like, why are these people listening to him? He's so clearly like shit. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, um, and and little sense of like. Like, you don't get the sense that he has built up a huge amount of loyalty amongst the military no. guys, even. No. Even when they start devolving around the line along the lines of military and science, like he's not. They competent. just kind of he's arbitrary not... follow him. Yeah, right? he's not yeah. enigmatic. He's yeah. just there. Yeah, and loud. Which again, be certain sometimes that mm. is the situation. That's what happens. Yeah. But but you need you need yeah. someone more like a bit like Woody Harrelson in the Apes. Took movie. the words out of my mouth. There Tim. we go. Yeah. Woody Harrelson is the Colonel in War of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Is Rhodes done well? He yeah. has the whole "we are doing this for the survival of humanity" kind of thing. He drums up like fanatical belief in his followers. Yeah, and that's world building like a motherfucker. Rise that, dawn, r- war. Yeah. rise dawn oh, war is amazing. Yeah. I, I've, I've talked about it endlessly on this show. I even talked about it on when I was a guest on Unequal Sequel because yeah. I fucking love the Apes movies. But it's it's the same progression in post apocalyptic stuff. You see the world deteriorate movie by movie, mm. movie. We're jumping years and years into the future. The apes are having kids and stuff. Like there's whole generations of characters happening in these movies, and the world reacts to that. The mm. time changing. You realize, oh, there are fewer and fewer humans in each film. Yep. And the survivors are fucking nuts. Mm. You get characters like the Colonel in War, as you said, Tim, played by Woody Harrelson. Like Woody Harrelson is a fanatical military guy. Like. Mm. I mean, he fucking nailed it. Like, yeah. he's this charismatic, absolute nutter, but not in an asshole kind of way. No, because he believes the, what he's doing is the right he thing. He believes what he's mm. doing. He's fighting for the good of humanity. It's making the apes the enemy, a classic political tactic in mm. many ways, make the other people the enemy. So you and, quote, your people, in mm. his case, a bunch of military dudes and a bunch of white mm. people mm. Can, can gather together and like really bunker down and be like, mm. yeah, no, no, we're the good guys and we can fight off the bad guys. That's the apes. That could be Rhodes and the zombies, but he doesn't really have that motivation and, and justification. Yeah. And uh, like you said, Tim, they just kind of follow him because military, I guess. And it's yeah. like, okay, even outside of the military, th- there is no human military in the War of the Planet of the Apes stuff. But he's the fucking colonel because he believes the colonel. They even imply in that film 
that he's not a military man and he's just gone a bit nuts mm. and he's like just a hardcore Republican with guns basically yeah. and he's like I'm just gonna call myself the colonel because I can because the world mm. is over fuck you guys and he he believes it enough in himself that other people believe in him yeah whereas Rhodes is I am a military man therefore I have authority he's mm. like the government doesn't exist the US military doesn't exist yeah. <laughs> there's 10,000 people in the world, let alone the US. You mm. have no authority. You have a bunch of guns, but so does that guy and that guy and mm. that guy. Why are you in charge? Yeah. Why are we letting you get away with this shit for, again, seemingly years since the apocalypse has happened? Mm. Yeah, weird. And the thing, the thing is, the bones of being able to do that are there because if you had that sense of fanaticism and that they were all so like, the thing that has kept us sane in this period is killing zombies and like that is what we have made our mission and like uh -huh. then the idea that that some them realizing that the scientists are saying like no we're not we're not looking for a way to kill them better we're not even looking away for to cure them we're looking for a way to live alongside them yeah. essentially then that suddenly becomes so threatening to the military order of things yeah. because and they're like well no our entire sense of purpose is built around yeah we kill zombies mm -hmm. yeah um, the, the fact that they play with that ideology clash just a little bit, but not enough for it to really click. Yeah. You could really, really drive that home. And honestly, I think some of the main characters, like Sarah, could be more involved in that conflict. It's basically mm. mad bullshit scientist versus mad military guy, and I'm mm. not rooting for either side. <laughs> Which, again, is something you could play with and do yeah. something interesting with. Definitely. But they're kind of just cartoon characters at that point. Like, Logan is a full-on mad scientist out of fucking, like, yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas fucking <laughs> Tim, Burton, so. Tim Burton fucking yeah. movie. And then you have Rhodes on the other side. And like you said, Tim, you could build their, like, entire, like, hierarchy of that thing around, like, basically everyone has been trained in the military side of things. You're all recruited to kill and whoever kills the most zombies is like top of the list. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Like you build the whole thing around like, mm. Oh yeah. Rhodes has killed the most zombies. He's done all the crazy shit. He saved our lives millions of times. That's why he's our leader kind of mm. thing. And then you have the guys being, as you said to him, and as the, the film says like, no, we want to live alongside them. We don't even need to kill them. And there could be so much interesting shit going on there, but they don't really, give it enough time to explore it properly. Yeah, it suffers from kind of 80s bad guy. Yes. Why is 80s bad guy? 80s bad guy is 80s bad guy because yeah. 80s bad guy is... What? It's yeah. the same year as Commando, by the way. So yeah. It's like, yeah. It's that era of 80s yeah. movies. No, it was not an age of subtlety, which no, is no, a shame no. because the other two films are so subtle. Yep. And there's and again, there's, there's bits in this that are great and they yep. still... It has the foundations for those conflicts to be there. It just yeah. doesn't lean into them hard enough they all stay mm. as this kind of undercurrent yeah. that isn't foregrounded enough and instead it's mm. this it does feel like there's a lot of like wasted time even though it's not it doesn't drag as much as like dawn does sometimes drag yeah um, it's, it's, it's a very long movie it, it's a long movie um, Don't watch I mean, the extended cut it's, it's unnecessary it's not <laughs> super long it's like two hours but it's still you know it's Two, felt a lot longer. It's two oh nine, and the extended is like two twenty nine or something yeah. like that. And the and extended, the pacing can be glacial at times. Yeah, there there is a um super shortcut for mm. a better phrase 
that is uh, weirdly enough going back to our Mother of Tears episode mm. is the Argento version. Mm. He came in and oh, did, wow. did an edit basically that he supervised. Yeah, sure. And it's like 20 minutes shorter, so it goes the other direction. Yeah. And is like 89 minutes rather mm. than 109 minutes or yeah. whatever it is. Mm. Um, and it cuts out all the humor, basically. So all, oh. the, all the pies in the face and all the fun with all the toys and mm. all the bollocks and stuff like that. I, I, Argento mm. just goes super dour and serious about the whole thing. Yeah. And it's like... Yeah, that doesn't work either. No, I think the mundanity and the idea that it is actually, mm. like, you know, when you're in this, when you live in this kind of weird world and you're so close to death, sometimes you do have you nonsense. Need, you need the gallows humor. And, a little yeah, bit, yeah. That yeah. theatrical cut is the sweet spot mm. for me, for yeah. sure. Fair play. Uh, I mean, I'm fascinated to see what you're going to do, Matt. I, I had a real... We've, we've been talking about like, oh, you could do this and you could fix that way. Mm. And there's a lot of like, uh, as we said, there's a decent foundation there. Maybe you do a... As we've done on the sequelizers before, mm. we've all done it in various different mm. forms. Tweak it a bit here, recast this thing here, tighten this up, add some more tension here, problem solved, mm. turn a 5 out of 10, 6 out of 10 into an 8 or 9 out of 10 or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, sure, you sure. Know, mm. Just give it that a few extra tweaks to make it really shine. Mm. Or you burn it to the ground and start from scratch, mm. as, as you often do, man. We'll give you a little sneak peek. Oh. I threw it all in the fucking I bin. I thought you might have done. And I did something bold. <laughs> oh, no. So, well, good luck with that. To listeners. Yeah. We'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens. You could start taking AG1 because you don't have prep time, you want better gut health, more energy, or an optimized immune system. Thankfully, it doesn't taste like it's super healthy with a mild tropical taste that people actually look forward to each morning. So what is AG1? Well, with one delicious scoop, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's all the things. AG1 is a small microhabit that is with has big benefits, supporting better sleep quality, and it's cheaper than getting all the sort of $100 per day uh, supplements separately. So right now is the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, which is one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We are also sponsored by Audible. Audible has thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, and so much more. And we're here to enhance this fantastic experience. Because if you head to audibletrial.com slash sequel, you can get a month free and an audiobook on us. Today, I am recommending The Mall by Richie Tankersley Cusick. That's not a real name, Matthew. Apparently it is. Summary says here, there's a stalker on the loose in the mall, and there's no safe place to hide. Working at the mall is supposed to be fun. Trish's job at the Muffin Mania is hardly intellectually challenging, and her boss is a piece of work. But it's worth it to have a job in the same building as her two best friends, the Hanson Twins. <laughs> I'm leaving it there, ladies the and gentlemen. The Hanson Twins as in... I think it's... I mean, three of those copyright fuckers. strike. Um, anyway, 
You could have that one if you want. Uh, if you don't... <laughs> Why you would, I don't know. Yeah, but, you know, you could just have a sample and think if it's worth having. Anyway, so get on down to audibletrial.com slash sequel for a month free and an audiobook on us. Audible. For when you're stuck in the mall and there's only 10,000 humans left. Okay, so it's Rotten Tomatoes time, everybody. Oh, yeah. You know how it goes. Rotten Tomatoes is hideously flawed, but we yeah. love talking about it. And it's my... It's often objectively wrong. Oh, yeah. Uh, inaccurate and confusing. And yeah. that's why we love it here at Sequence. <laughs> we really do. It reflects It's kind of us. our speciality. <laughs> yeah. It's my job to, uh, to task Tim and Jack. I've done a thing I shouldn't have done. You've gone whole hog, haven't you, Matthew? Give me all six. Oh, my God. <laughs> so this is mm. Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, Survival of the Dead. The Romero ones only. Right. No okay. remakes, no funny business. No. Yeah. Let's okay. bash out some numbers, boys. Let's start with Tim. Just do all six, Tim. Just bam, 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 bam. Don't even give okay. time. If you'd okay. like to do that, I would be happy Don't to Don't even take... give Matt time to write them down. Okay. Uh, I'd like to see you try. <laughs> Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah. 95%. Right. 85 for me, please. Right. Dawn of the Dead. Yep. 95%. Yeah. 91 for me, please. Right. Day of the Dead. Yeah. 78%. Right. 70 on the dot, please. Right. Land next. Yep. Correct. 70 on the dot. Yep. 63. Yeah, for me, please. Diary. Uh -huh. Correct. 40%. Yep. I had 45 in my head, so I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, survival. Survival. Mm. 21%. 28. Yeah. I winged it without even thinking about it. And now <laughs> I've got to do some, some writing. One second. <laughs> Matthew's got to do some maths. Trying to well, work out. Because we're pretty close on most of those picks. So that'll be interesting. There is a winner. You have tabulated. I have. Calculated. Mm -hmm. I have. Excellent. It's not a clean sweep. Okay. That makes sense. It's yeah, there's a lot of fucking movies. Yeah. That I, will say, I, will say, I will say nothing, and you'll have to just guess. No, okay. okay. Night of the Living Dead. Jack said 85. Tim said 95. Ron Tomato says 96. Wow. With an audience score of 87. Wow. So one I was Tim. along the audience score. Mm. Tim, your critics. Dawn. Mm. Tim said 95. Jack said 91. Rotten Tomato says 94. Fucking hell. I'm surprised well by that. Because I thought it'd be higher than Night of the Living Dead. That's, that was my guess as well. Mm, but I obviously yeah. un also undershot Night. Audience score of 90. Fucking hell. Um, hell. I can tell you this now. Night of the Living Dead has the highest critic score. And Dawn of the Dead has the highest audience score. Unsur higher than unsurprising yeah. in both but of that those. Yeah. Deals about yeah. right. That tracks. Okay. Uh, Day of the Dead, uh, 78 from Tim, 70 from Jack. It's 83%. Really? One of our I mean, highest fixes. Yeah. Just to clarify, Rotten Tomatoes is... 3 out of 5, <laughs> 60%. 3 out of 5, 60%, mm. 6 out of 10, however you want to word it. And flawed as fuck. And flawed as fuck. Yeah. Fair. Mm. Too high, but fair. I, well, would say, I would say it's a pretty solid 3 out of 5. Yeah. That's not, the thing. If yes. not maybe... 
three point five out of five. Yeah, you'd yes. have contributed. To I, I would be happy yes. to yeah. give this a six out of ten, three out of five. Yeah. Mm. And apparently 83% of other people would as well. <laughs> well, you guys close, literally uh, hewn between you yes. mm. uh, with the audience score of 75. So uh, yeah, you're kind yeah. of on the ball. Mm. Uh, Land of the Dead. Oh no, we really uh, Tim said 70, Jack says 63. You both lowballed it, got 74%. Really? Mm. I actually remember Land being quite well received. I gave it a 3 out of 5. So I, I liked Land too. when I saw it. It's not but good. Like, yeah, not. Yeah. I can barely remember anything yeah. about it. I remember it, a few bits of it distinctly, but yeah. But the idea of this central town that has this upper and lower class of yeah. things, it was an interesting concept. It was, was also apparently at one point what Day of the Dead was going to be. Mm. So, yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, audiences didn't like it, 51%. That's more. Makes yeah. sense. Okay, we're following along it with was, the audience. It was well. also yeah. the year after the Dawn of the Dead remake. And Correct. I think because that was so well received, people weren't willing no. to go back to like. Shuffling oh, zombies. slow shuffly zombies. Yeah, who are recalling memories of stuff. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Diary of the Dead. Um, this is Romero doing um, found footage stuff. Uh, Tim said 40. Jack said 45. Things shift a bit here. Because it's somehow 62%. What? It's very meh. <laughs> I'd give it a two or a one out of five. I don't it's like not great. Diary very much. No. Personally. Haven't seen it, so I couldn't. <laughs> but again, between you guys, Audience, 41%. Right. We're, we're men of the people. Yeah. Seemingly. And finally, Survival of the Dead, which I think is a big piece of shit. Survival um, is bad. It's very bad. Yeah. Uh, Jack 28, Tim 21, <sighs> Critics 30? Uh, that's, that's fine. And that's Audience fine. 20. That's fine. So that means Tim got four right, Jack got yeah, two right. That's fair. Which is a bit, yeah. almost half and half, so yeah. almost a tie, basically. Mm, yeah. So there you go. That's, that's the numbers. That's the answer. That's... Uh, that's a look at the entire thing. Quite surprising. Mm. Very. So I need to fix this. So how are you going to fix an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes movie? Oh, I don't think I will. I think I'll enrage a lot of people. <laughs> What's new for you, Stogden? <laughs> <laughs> I did what was right for cinema, damn it. Oh, no. All right, first change. I can't be releasing in 1985. Okay. I've got to release it in 1988. Oh, do 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. <laughs> 1968, 1988. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Also, uh, w- uh, as I will talk about at the end of this, there's a lot of satirical themes and things I've injected mm. in here, but more what? in a subtle way. Satirical themes? In a zombie movie? Yep. But it, Surely it, not. Yeah, we'll, we'll see when I get to it. Director, G- George Romero. Thank God for that. <laughs> Fucking hell. I know you, a. Romero replaced him with John Carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> if you had kept Zack Snyder on for your 300 thing, I think and Zack gotten, a boy at this and point. <laughs> gotten rid of oh, yes, yes. George Romero <laughs> in this one, we'd have been having words. Sir. Steven Spielberg's yeah. Day of the Dead. Ooh, in your whole, still, yeah. well, if I just get anyone else, they'll be doing a cheap imitation of the original movie. <laughs> if you had not brought back George Romero. Now, Romero needs to do this. He does. And I also want to see what he does. the this. trilogy for his legacy yeah. and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Returning cast. Nope. Um, <laughs> Interesting. I mean, yeah, that tracks. Mm. Yep. I'm going to run through some stuff here. The names will mean nothing to a lot of people, but those who the names mean a lot to will go, oh, shit. Right, here we go. Is it a bunch of horror people none of us have ever heard of? That's but the exactly horror people will be That's like, exactly. yay. Yeah, yeah it's, real, it's real 80s grindhouse shit. Greeley being played by William Forsyth who was in Raising Arizona, Dick Tracy, The Rock, The Devil's Rejects. He's got a very distinct, grizzled face. Is he like the the rich dad in Raising Arizona? Like that they steal the baby from? 
I think so. I can't remember his yes. character. Right? I, mean, I think that's exactly what he is. Yes, yes, yes. I remember his other later roles. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that's correct. Um, in, From in Halloween the, uh, and stuff. In the 80s. Yeah, exactly. In the 80s, he's got like, a big sort of thick head of black hair and a moustache and beard and that sort of thing. So yeah. Um, Mason, Richard Lynch, um, the Sword and the Sorcerer, Invasion USA, Little Nikita. He is a very interesting visual actor. Burn victim. Um, and very much played up his career based on that. Very, very interesting character. He's been in like tons of stuff, like Star Trek and other bits and pieces. It's again really TV based thing, but very enigmatic and imposing what I need for this is what I need for this character. Uh Linda is played by Carol Locatell, who's in Coffee and Friday the thirteenth, the new beginning, and the family stone. And so again, very much wide-eyed crazy. Stables of the horror genre. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh Sam is played by Kate Hodge. Doing a little bit of a thing here. Um, she first appeared in Leatherface Texas Chainsaw 3, because <laughs> Rapid Fire and Xena Warrior Princess and all that sort of stuff. But I'm making this her first film a year earlier, or two years earlier, basically. Okay. So she's very, very young at this point. That's kind of the point of the character. Yeah, she was I kind think, of a 90s yeah. star. Right? And she went straight into horror. I don't think it's untoward to imagine she could be in this horror rather than another one mm -hmm. to start with. It doesn't impose her career at all. Grant, Jim motherfucking Brown. Um, the Dirty Dozen, The Running Man, Mars Attack, Small Soldiers. Um, Aldous Hodge plays a version of him in One Night in Miami. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love Jim Brown. He's hilarious. Um, Billy, played by Billy. <laughs> uh, Billy Warlock, um, who's in Halloween 2, Goes on Me Society, Steel Sharks, uh, Baywatch Hawaiian Wedding. Um, Everyone's favorite Baywatch. B Billy Warlock is kind of like a pretty boy. So he's... Um... Son of Dick Warlock, Kurt Russell's uh, stunt, stunt dude, stunt dude. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. How, how many other Warlocks are there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I thought Dick Warlock was a stage name. I was like, no, his no, son's no. surname is Warlock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm jealous. Uh, Olsen is blamed by uh, Sybil Danning. Uh, she's from she's an Hercules. Ah, um, Hercules. Howling Two, Warrior Queen, Werewolf Woman of the SS. And it gets the classic, like, Sorry, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you dial back to Werewolf Woman of the SS, please? Yes, Werewolf Woman. That's, um, if I remember correctly, that's the Rob Zombie it is. bit in Grindhouse. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, one of those classic Grindhouse trips, like, oh, it's a staple individual. Uh, Maurizia is played by Lucia Mendez. She, and I haven't even bothered to write the titles down because the audience, I'm so sorry to insult everybody, no one's going to fucking know. She's basically in tons of Mexican telenovelas. Right. Um, okay. And she's also in. El Malefico dos los Enviados del Infierno, um, which is a big thing. But the point is that she is a Mexican actor and she's very good and she's very dramatic and I think that'll be good in this. And finally, Jerry and Pete, who are minor characters and I would cast them with unknowns and it doesn't matter. Fair enough. <laughs> so there's a lot of names of people who no one's going to really necessarily know. But I've heard they... of Jim Brown. Yeah. Think that's it. That's fair. And I worked out the warlock guy because he was called Warlock. <laughs> <laughs> but then equally, if I told you the names of the Night of the Living Dead cast or the Day of the Dead cast or or the or the Door of the Dead cast, you'd go a bunch of them no? didn't go on to do anything else. Exactly. Yeah. Except they Kenfori. stayed in that niche and kind yeah. of went off and did who's stuff. The, who's the dad in yeah. fucking Kidding and Kill? Yeah. And other horror niche stuff. Yeah. yeah. So if you do want to delve into those actors a little bit more, listeners, mm. you join the Patreon, you do get access to the full pitch where we add IMDb links and all that kind of stuff. And I think mm. it's especially good for stuff like this, where we're less familiar with the actors. Yes. Like, oh, I cast the red role, Brad Pitt. And everybody goes, oh, I don't know, Brad Pitt. Mm. Oh, next person is Angelina Jolie. And you're like, mm. yeah, okay, we all know who that is. 
But the fact that these people have entire careers in the horror genre, you can be like, oh, I do know them from that thing and that yeah. kind of thing. Highly recommend going out and checking out the pitch in full on Patreon, which is available to all patrons. It's true. The day after it goes up on the Friday, it's available on the Saturday. Yeah. So, so the second you heard that. the early version, you can go and see like, who? <laughs> go, Pretty much. Oh shit, it's, that it's, motherfucker. It's a, yeah, it's very much a who? Oh, that guy. Oh, that lady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So have fun with that. Should we get stuck in this? I'm just going to crack straight in. I'm not going to give you any preamble or preface. Oh, wow. Because okay. it's just going to be like, boof, straight into it. I'm worried already. You should be. It's not in Pennsylvania. Oh, no. But then neither was Day how, of the Dead. How dare you? Fuck you. We open on a lone individual making his way out of the woodland and across a frozen field in Oregon. Fucking Oregon, You said Matt. that dramatically. It means nothing to me. It's the Northwest. It's the other yeah. side of the country. I'm, 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 the country. I'm aware. But oh. like, well, all right. I don't know why that matters yet. Because we're moving it from uh, visuals to basically mountain range and woods and shit. There'll be a reason for it. Toward a largely derelict 19th century structure, an old Civil War era fort. Before reaching the door, the man sees a wood shutter slide open and a rifle muzzle pointed at him. The individual introduces himself as Greeley and explains he is being pursued and needs to take refuge. The person with the rifle, Mason, with his craggy face, all burnt up and creepy, opens the door and lets Greeley in. Inside, we see four other individuals, all of whom have guns trained on their guests. Before formal instructions can be made, Mason hears horses approaching in the distance. As with the opening shots, a group of four men and women on horseback make their way out of the woodland and across the field toward the fort. Mason once again points the gun at the visitors. The head of the group say, uh, says his name is Grant and that they are looking for a dangerous man. Mason explains someone passed by not long ago headed north. One of the women on horseback gives a shrug, essentially indicating that the trail isn't giving away much indication either way. And with that, the group ride off. This whole sequence takes a bit of time. I'm going a little bit Dawn of the Dead, and this is actually a two-hour movie, but it's a little bit sure. slower than I'm describing it, should mm. we say. With the pursuers gone, Mason demands a full explanation. Greedy states he was forced out of the camp he was staying in. When pressed for a reason, he says he was wrongfully accused of stealing supplies. Mason explains he wants to trust the man, and Linda persuades him to keep Greedy safe for the meantime. A very grateful Greedy thanks the group. But Mason's back is up, and he demands Greeley stay in one of the old cells to ensure he can be trusted. Greeley happily obliges. The group on horseback seem deflated that they aren't making any progress, when, all of a sudden, the horses become spooked. The group ready themselves as a cluster of zombies amble towards them. They're still slow, ambly zombies. Oh yeah. Yes. Ghouls. <laughs> Ghouls, if you will. Ghouls. Thank you, Adam Driver. Yeah. <laughs> One of the horses rears up, kicking a zombie in the head. Rather than being consumed by fear, the group deal with the zombies in a very functional manner. Confident the area is secure, the group agree that it would be difficult for Greeley to get this far alone and unarmed, and the trail went toward the fort, but there's almost nothing in the forest to work with. Deducing their quarry is likely holed up in the fort, they head back. Arriving back at the fort, Mason calls out, asking if they had any luck. Grant explains he didn't, and asks if they could take a look around just to make sure everything is okay. After a lot of posturing and silence, Mason eventually agrees. The group come in, and there's an immediate unease. Despite the tension, Grant and his group are shown around. Grant then holsters his weapons and apologizes, explaining it was only because Greedy is a very dangerous individual. He was a new addition to their colony, but killed one of their number. Mason suggests the victim may have been bitten, and this Greeley fella was, you know, putting the poor soul out of his misery. 
But Billy, the youngest of the group, explains his father was the person killed, and it was only because he held a good rank among them. Mason apologizes for the kid's loss, and with that, Grant escorts his people out, and they ride off. Reaching the tree line, Billy asks where they should head next. Olsen gets off her horse and says they're not going anywhere. Grant explains to a confused Billy that there's nowhere else their target could have gone, and unless those people were headed out that day for supplies, which the tracks don't confirm, there shouldn't be nearly as much melted snow and pine needles around the fort interior. Maritza suggests they come back under the cover of darkness and break in. Billy protests, but is told he of all people knows what Greedy is capable of, and if he is there, better for them to break in than those poor bastards to learn the hard way. Later that night, with the horses tied up in the woods, the group make their way towards the fort and sneaking through a high window, noticed earlier by Olsen. Creeping around, the fort seems to be largely empty. Maritza finds a hatch leading underground, and the group stumble across a vast network of tunnels. Choosing a path and following it, they eventually hear clinking in the darkness. Unsure of what to expect, they step into a chamber as old as the fort itself. In the middle of the room, chained to a sort of wooden throne, is a young woman. Barely able to speak, with an incredibly weak and raspy voice, the young lady asks who they are. The group point their guns at her and she cowers, explaining she was abducted by the fort folk and kept prisoner. Billy says Greeley must have killed Mason and the others, but not realised that this girl was down here. Maritza says they can come back with a bigger force and take Greeley out properly, but they can't do that without the element of surprise. Grant agrees and they set about unchaining the captive woman, who introduces herself as Sam. As quickly and quietly as they broke in, the group grab a coat for Sam and leave the fort, trekking off into the night. Going deeper into the woods, the group find their horses dead, surrounded by 30 or so zombies. Billy whispers, how is that possible? Grant is notably worried, knowing the horses can easily hand themselves with a small gathering, but this is a large horde. Olsen adds that she hadn't seen a zombie group this big in years. While trying to back away, the zombies become aware of their presence and lurch toward them, so the group make a break for it, knowing the journey back will be hard, on foot and in the dark. I have a quick question. Please. What sort of time of year are you picturing this? I picture this to be... Winter? November. Okay, so kind of wintry and possibly snowy. Yeah. Wintry. Yeah. Yes, because there was mention of snow. I was picturing it snowing. Me too. It's the northwest, so it's kind of cold and wet usually, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be more of a, you know, they, they all seem to have this sort of autumn springy thing in with the you know the turning of the season in the first film mm. second film feels like a sort of summery kind of thing even though this feels like a really it feels like an uh, undergroundy kind of thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean like the the the, I'm the more yeah. but yes in, in this one wants to be like a no different season yeah as the sun comes up we see day-to-day life in a simple fortified camp located at the foot of a mountain an almost pilgrim-esque settlement surrounded by a wall of wooden stakes a patrolman signals down as grant and his group approach they are welcome back and ask if they found Greeley. Billy takes Sam to a shack, her head covered and shaking all over. Grant explains they didn't find Greeley, but there's an old fort out beyond the mountain. It's not clear if Greeley is dead, or if he killed the residents, but the only person they found was that girl, chained to a chair underground. Maritza says she must have been down there for quite some time, as when the sun came up it hurt her eyes, and it's clear she must be suffering from traumatic stress. With this, the camp citizens all share similar horror stories of terrible things people have done over the years. It's agreed that they need to read supply and head back to the fort immediately to deal with whoever is left. Just to jump in here, 
So again, slow glacial stuff, but this is where we get a lot of backstory to... We don't see a lot of flashbacks, but we get that almost the new... This is where we get the news reports. Dream sequences, mm. Maggie? Uh, unfortunately not. No. Oh, no, what a shame. <laughs> this is us sitting around a campfire, effectively doing the news reports of like, oh, no, I saw this. I remember the, the, this happening and this, well, that. Three yeah. years ago when we killed that guy yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Christ, yeah. I haven't seen this and that. Like, that yeah. kind of like, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Grant takes Olsen, Maritza, and three others, all with horses and guns, and ride back towards the fort. Billy and Sam bond and learn about each other. In doing so, Billy details how he was only a kid when the zombie outbreak happened. With Sam being a little younger, she's only ever known this life and this world. So again, we're talking about this has been going on for quite some yeah. time. Yep. Little Billy Warlock. <laughs> Grant and the others have to go around the mass of zombies in their path, clearly the large horde from the night before, but eventually arrive at the fort. Discovering several tracks indicating those in the fort are likely alive and have headed out, they break down the door and search the building. Finally, they come across a previously locked door and the only person home, a barely conscious Greeley. Olsen violently tries to interrogate the man, immediately learns he is in fact tied to a bed and is missing body parts. His penis. Oh, grim. Christ. Mutilated but still alive, Greeley babbles some nonsense about a matriarch. Oh my lord. Grant demands answers, but the only thing they gather is that people living in the fort have been offering people refuge under false pretenses. Maritza says the same thing as Maritza says the same thing must have happened to Sam. Suddenly realizing something, Grant heads back outside and starts following the tracks before coming to the conclusion. They may have followed the zombies all the way back to their camp. Sure enough, Mason and his family arrive outside the camp. A guardsman keeps his gun tracked on the strangers, but Mason is cordial, disarming himself and explaining he means no harm. Mason says he hasn't seen Grant or the others, but it's important they get their goddess back, that it's not safe for her to be in the open. The ruckus has drawn the attention of the whole camp, who are clearly well-versed in how to handle these sorts of situations. Again, we've detailed they've gone through other sorts of like mm-hmm. raiders and blah, blah, blah. Mason signals behind him and says they snuck past a large horde of zombies, but there will be more if they don't return her. The patrolman takes a look through a pair of binoculars, and sure enough, the zombies are ambling toward the camp with uncharacteristic intent. He then shouts back, asking, How do we know you didn't lure them here? To which Linda eerily responds, Because they won't be alone. In one of the shacks, Billy asks himself what all the shouting is, and Sam explains she is scared, her shaking getting noticeably worse. A series of screams and shouts echo around the camp as we cut away from the shack and reveal that a second amassing of zombies has made their way through the barrier at the rear of the camp, while everyone's attention was focused on the front. Chaos ensues, and in the general panic, Mason's group open fire on the camp citizens. In the mess of unbridled zombie carnage, is what we like. Billy makes a concerted effort to get Sam to safety. Bundling her up, he grabs his weapon and makes his way through the fray. Seeing Linda opening fire on his friends, Billy quickly smuggles Sam out and heads up the mountainside, the only direction seemingly free from zombies. A few hours later, Grant and his posse return to the camp. It's mostly in tatters, with bodies strewn everywhere, a handful of zombies continuing to feast on the remains, largely oblivious to the new arrivals. Quickly spot-checking the surrounding area, Olsen points to the trail of zombies heading up towards the peak of the mountain. A shot rings out, and Olsen falls dead. 
The group take cover and fight against Jerry, the youngest of the attackers from the fort. This attracts the attention of the zombies, but Maritza is able to circle around and disarm Jerry. Grant lashes out at the semi-dazed woman before realising that she's been bitten and hasn't got long to live. Jerry doesn't mind because she too will eventually feel the call and join the goddess. Maritza, furious, puts a bullet in Jerry's head. The gunshot from the camp below reverberates through the peaks of the mountain, momentarily catching Billy off guard. The wind is picked up and Sam says she can't go any further. Billy holds her close and says if they can just get over the mountain, he'll be okay. In their embrace, Sam can see the zombies shuffling toward them, with Mason, Linda and Pete quietly taking a few out with axes. Sam whispers something unheard by the audience, lost in the cold wind. Sometime later, Grant, Maritza and the handful of surviving camp residents make it up the mountain. They find Billy dead on the ground, his throat torn out. Around him are several dead zombies and the three fort members violently dismembered. Unsure of what's happened, they look for tracks, but the only real set of footprints leads to the mountain's edge, and with the snow falling, it seems almost impossible to track where Sam or the rest of the horde went. After holding on a long shot, we cross-dissolve to Grant and his troop, bringing supplies to the Civil War fort, intent on doing it up and making a new home. The end. Interesting. Very Interesting. different. Very different. Two, I'm ready for two, two uh, not actually questions, but, but my guesses of some influences. Please go ahead. So OG pre-Romero zombies mm-hmm. were voodoo zombies. That mm. was the kind of traditional way of doing it. Mm. Yeah. Which was more mind control than living dead. Stuff. Very much so. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. They can be snapped out of it, which kind of plays into what we were saying earlier. Of like, oh, I can still save them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. You're kind of playing up to that with the whole goddess thing, Matthew. Is that is that an influence there, or is that is that Not something as much else that's... As you might think? But a little bit, yeah, yeah. That was um, the vibes I got. Is there another influence there that I'm not it's... picking up on? Uh, it's uh, I'll, it. I'll, I'll, mm. It felt weirdly like it was an adaptation of something, mm-hmm. but turned into a zombie film. <laughs> love, love, actually. Like I can't put my finger on what it was, but mm-hmm. it feels like you've taken like. Mm-hmm. An old myth or another story, and then ter- converted it so it's into this uniform. Is there any truth to that? That's what's interesting because I love where you guys are coming from with this because you're semi right and semi wrong, uh, mostly wrong. So mostly. I have adapted things, and I had a really weird writing process for this one because I tried to put myself in this mindset of like, well, okay, let's build the universe, build the world, saying and inject all this satire, and the story sort of presented itself, and I went, oh fuck, it's a western. Um, and that's, that's how yeah, I like progressed it. For sure. Um, I thought, oh, but there's gonna be so little death at the start. Like, no, no, no. It's gonna build to it. It's gonna be like, oh, this is very, very different. In the same way that Dawn of the Dead and we've had Day and Night have so many elements of nothing happening for a long time. I wanted to build that in a proper way. Like, no, the back, the final third is pure constant death. Anyway, that being said, the influence stuff comes down to a few things. I've written them down. It's about when this film, the, the sort of cultural mindset of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So 10 years prior to the day affected, or maybe uh, nine, 10 years, mm. is the Jonestown Massacre. Uh, so cults. And in mm. the 80s, there's a satanic panic and the idea of people being enigmatically led to your death and there's one crazy preacher leader who's going to, you know, that kind of nonsense. Mm. So I had the idea of like a cult family being this really weird, fucked up thing and going from there, you know. Mm. 
the other thing I wanted to bring into was the wasn't mythology I was adapting. It was science. Um, I wanted to evolve the zombies, not just in a sense of like making them sad, m- mm. remember beasts. <laughs> I wanted to make them. What's the next natural progression for zombies? In a way that, to be fair, um, land and a few other things kind mm. of sort of come close to addressing. Um, and that's uh, kind of like bees and other insect stuff. It's like, so Sam is dead, mm-hmm. but she didn't turn into a zombie. She just went very raspy. Oh, interesting. And so it's never really fully confirmed that she's dead and mm-hmm. raspy, but she, um, kind of like a queen bee situation, They the drones flock to her, which is why she's kept underground through the tunnels in mm. this bit. That, you know, So in this whole fort, they would be experimenting. So the idea is that they're keeping her away from things, but they want to keep her alive because these crazy cult idiots are worshipping her yeah. effectively. And it's like, oh, no, no. Because she's the next evolution of these zombies. So mm. rather than like Bubba being the thing of people retaining memories, it's like, no, what are these things growing into? Yeah. And she's one of them, basically. One of the big influences, I don't know if it's conscious, that I sure, picked sure. up on coming from my video game side of things, mm. is Days Gone. I haven't played Days Gone. I didn't think you had. You've no. done the Uncharted I've done the entire thing again. It's set in Oregon. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. There's a bunch of camps in a similar yeah, kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them is set up in an old Civil War area Fuck, not yeah, a no. fort but like a no 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 i get it yeah yeah, yeah. um with the crazy military guy yeah a, yeah a la day of the dead funnily enough yeah there's a bunch of scientists a bunch of military guy all that mm. the, the typical stuff um and interesting enough spoilers for days gone a four-year-old game at this point <laughs> yeah zombies evolve in that game Curious. and they reveal at the end like oh the contact you've been talking to is one of the scientists in a hazmat suit mm-hmm. he takes his hazmat suit off and he's all zombified but he's talking the whole time mm. and he's like you might want to leave Deacon St. John and he goes takes off his thing and like does a like zombie twitch kind yeah, of thing because yeah, yeah. we've already taken over this place or something like that mm. sure, it's sure, a big sure, reveal sure, sure. of like you've been working with the insider on the corporation turns out the corporation is zombies it's I am legend it's that kind of oh, thing yeah, yeah, yeah. the next evolution of zombies mm. but interesting enough that is interesting <laughs> yeah I had, I had mm. oddly that. ties into that when you were saying Oregon and all these kind of like mountains yeah. and stuff I'm just like so I'm on my motorbike, cruising <laughs> around, hanging out with my brother mm. called Boozer for some reason. Boozer. Terrible fucking tattoos. Fair. Um, but yeah, yeah, I definitely mm. picked up on that. Yeah. Unknowingly influenced. No, I did. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But also, it's the classic like evolution of zombie narratives. They're I was like, going to say. Yeah. You're both influenced and and drawing from similar wells of zombie lore yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and happened to set it mm. in the same place. So that's yeah. Kind of so the hordes of zombies being like guided and directed and stuff it's mm. also a thing in days gone it's mm. known for it's like 200 zombie oh sure in mm. one place kind of horde things you have like yeah you essentially have a boss battle with 20 well sorry a big with, cluster with 200 yeah. a big mm. cluster of zombies in a certain area yeah and that's a whole thing as well so. in the same way that on the 360 or whatever it was xbox 360 when the dead rising came out it's like there's an unprecedented number of mm, bodies yeah. Yeah, that's. You want to see your frame rate go to like six? (laughs) Just chugs as you drive through them with chainsaws strapped to your motorbike. Yeah, yeah. So there's that logic, and I wanted to do something with the frontier mindset because I was talking about the idea of like, well, it's a house. The next thing is uh, a shopping mall. I thought the thing we haven't seen yet is what happens when these things are getting under control and life is a bit of normality. And as always, the Mm. human component is the fucking problem. The zombies just quietly progress naturally in, in a weird mm. way. Um, and the 
the aspect then of like you have nothing but these vast wildernesses and it's more that america like talk, like we talk about the numbers of like it's i would have it be the same thing numbers wise but the human population of a zombie population is like yeah but america is vast as mm. a landmass if you're not in a city you're probably a lot safer in the countryside hence you see these bits and pieces um and that brings me to the satirical element the heavily satirical element which is why it's a western which is why it's the frontier and it's a bit of a jab at reagan um <laughs> So from 1981 to 1989, the president of the United States was Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. The Uh, actor? (laughs) Very good. Uh, Big piece of shit. Uh, Americans, Republicans love the shit out of Reagan. Mm -hmm. He had this whole like shtick of like, I'm going to fight communism. It's all that matters to me. Oh, and it's good morning in America. And uh, uh, the economy is going to be this. And deregulation, blah, 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 blah. You can track a lot of really shitty things happening over the last... 40 years. He's America's Thatcher. Basically. Oh, very much so. Uh, but somehow a bit more beloved. Uh, I was in America when he, had a, he died and had his funeral. They were talking about putting on a $10 bill. You're like, mm, yeah. no. Point is, Reagan's cowboy nonsense and the idea of like, you know, so oh, my new metal band. <laughs> yeah. The idea of like, this is what America should be. And it's like, oh, we need a cowboy to lead us. And it's like, also the Cold War aspect of like, you do realize if you bomb the shit out of each other, nuclear winter sort of stuff, this is the reality of your future. Mm. It's not cars. It's not helicopters. It's not military shit. It's you go backwards. Mm. You go back to a frontier you think you understood, and then you realize how miserable it is. Mm. I don't know what World War Three will be fought with, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Civilization so, regresses in the in yeah. the face of absolute destruction. Yeah. In the same way that in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes the pockets of humanity are living in very different types of environments. Yep. It's not what you think it is. Um, and, and similarly, that's why I put like this, this, the sort of civil war style thoughts. It's like, yeah, people can't, re- they can get through glass quite easily. We made all these glass doors, mm. glass windows, but a big wooden fucking stake, it, mm. only when it's a huge, huge mass of zombies getting in that it finally pushes mm. it down, that, that pressure as it were. Yeah. But that's only, that's, why would there be that many zombies in the first place? Because mm. why, they don't, and this is what I'm sort of getting at in this story, they don't, through the anecdotes of what the people tell each other, there isn't the collective of like, oh, they're all going to mm. swarm across the country. It's like, no, they're just clustered everywhere because humans are clustered everywhere. That's yeah. how it works. Until there's this one queen hornet and like, oh. Sending out the pheromones yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And then on the mountainside, there's the ambiguity of like, you can kind of get the impression that she doesn't feel or exist in the same way. She has a very primitive understanding of things. She just mm. wants that simple, almost like a baby. All a baby wants is to be loved and fed. It's very straightforward. And she's having real difficulty dealing with stuff and obviously shaking because she hasn't eaten and reluctantly kills Billy. Well, mm. um, ambiguous. I, I always had a thing where it could be construed that they killed Billy and she got vengeance against him. But either mm. way, she kills her captors. And all the zombies follow her either to their death off the edge of the cliff or to a new society, wherever mm. it happens to be. Who knows? That's the sort of like, ooh, open-ended mm. thing. And they go back to the others go back to the fort, the very few survivors. Um, so that's my film. It's very different. Very, very different. Mm. Another, again, not influence, but the vibes I was getting. I don't know if we because we've talked about it recently on the inter- some in-season episodes. Yeah. Is Bone Tomahawk. Oh, interesting. Okay, in yeah, that, yeah. In that kind of, we are frontiersmen fighting against mm. this, not actually invading, but this 
cannibalistic kind of entity entity outside and the, the unknown yes. and all that kind of stuff. This feels like if you existed in the world of Bone Tomahawk, but as you said, pl- extended that timeline into the future yeah. because we're so far into the apocalypse at this point in the third movie in this trilogy. Mm. You have that like kind of it's still the man versus nature kind of thing, especially in the wilderness, especially mm. in the frontier. So many, you know, westerns and cowboys play with that kind of theme. Yeah. The reason that cowboys have guns effectively in westerns is to defend themselves from snakes and bears and, and cougars, cougars and stuff. Yeah. And Native Americans. Yes. Um, and other Americans. Um, but that's the point. It's that logic of like, yeah, this is what you do. When you abandon the rules of society, when you abandon the structure of society, but learn to live with the mm. the ailment or the disease or you know zombies like they can deal with them quite cleanly because again they're so sporadic and cleaned out. It tends to be like the Walking Dead always implies. It's the people you got to watch out for. Yeah, That's the, the real monsters are the humans. Yeah, and the friends we made along the way. Yeah, I think you could definitely play with that a little bit more. I don't know if you necessarily want to go down this road. I'm I'm going sort of to the extreme. Sure, here. sure. But playing with that Native American side of things could be interesting. I could, I yeah. I feel like that's a bit on the nose. There's something I would like to explore more there, but I'm going like to the nth degree to mm. kind of just, you know, brainstorm it a little bit. But sure. like having a bit more of a commentary about Westerns and the West, you know, those Indians and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff mm. and that kind of them almost seeing the zombies as this yeah, opposing force of mm. na- non-native people there taking over our lands, that kind of thing. You could, yeah. I think I was going th- more for like the, the course of nature being like bears and other bits mm. of They're a violent thing out Zombie there. Zombie bears? Zombie bears. Uh, no. Like in Days Gone. Like, yeah, like Annihilation. Um, oh, we're getting Annihilation skull-faced. Screaming bears. <laughs> Screaming bear. Yeah. yeah. No, no, more the idea that it's like, yeah, the, the danger of the frontier is fine, but when you go behind a door, you're okay. Mm. That's that sort of logic mm. of like, were well, you rebuilding society? It's like, we're not, they're not trying to repopulate the earth. They're not trying to kill all the zombies. They're just trying to make it through the end of the week. Mm. I think The Last of Us does a sort of similar vibe. A little bit. Yeah, I think another thing, Last of Us, again, going back to video games and stuff, Mm -hmm. having a character there who only knows this world is exactly what Ellie's function in that Mm -hmm. game. And you have Joel as the kind of, again, we're talking about, we have with the mall in Dawn of the Dead, he is the connection to the pre-apocalypse world. Yeah. I remember the day when it all happened, goddammit, and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff, whereas Ellie only knows the world of zombies and surviving and all that kind of stuff. and. Mm. you grow up as a different she matures incredibly quickly because she has to to survive mm-hmm. and that's a i think you, you did that really well you kind of played on that like they're so young they barely even know and sometimes just don't know at all yeah quite a world before and... the apocalypse yeah, yeah. And, and yeah thinking about that just reminded me of something else which i'm like oh i can see a little elements of this and also mm. because i think that the fact that the the pitch especially mm-hmm. has so much of the the western trappings about it the horses and stuff like that of course there's very little about it that actually feels post apocalyptic mm. because it, there's very little in there that feels like it couldn't happen back in western times yeah which is obviously for a reason but obviously obviously when you make a film you would have a lot more trappings of 
here is the fort that we have made and it's there's recycled stuff there's old cars that we've turned into I was going to say the visual so the would visually be, yes, it, would, yes. it would feel a lot more post-apocalyptic the guns they're the, using all that kind of yeah. the clothes it, they're wearing all that yeah. kind Mad of Maxi sort of mossy yeah. car yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but the thing that and, and, and as I was kind of thinking through that and also thinking through that you've got Billy who who basically barely remembers life beforehand mm. kind of thing uh, that reminded me of Rain of Fire Oh, that, see, that's wow. another great example. Yeah, because actually, do you like Rain of Fire? Bye. Because of the <laughs> idea that you grow up in this amazing, and it's like, well, what happens? Like, well, it becomes medieval at this point. Yeah, then. you live in a then castle. Li- you live in a castle. Yeah. And the bit I always like to Mars. The bit I always like in that is them is the adults putting on oh uh, Star Wars yes. as entertainment for the kids. Did um, you write that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I, I would like like with the st- time of stories. Mm. I'd like lots of those remnants of like which I, yeah I think bits and I think. Those bits, because I feel like the pitch was slightly missing a certain tone for me. But I think mm. in that period where you've got the them sitting around the campfires and talking about previous encounters and stuff like that, mm. I think that's where that would fit in that sense of history of the world of like yeah people who've maybe come from all over um and you know maybe they've got like a a, a working radio but they only switch it on every week to kind of. Yeah. do something or what the, just the to root it a little bit more in the apocalypse rather than because i like the western elements mm. and i think that will make sense but as i was going through yeah. i was having to keep reminding myself that it wasn't set in, in like 1890 yeah. <laughs> well i think the visuals will sell it that's yeah. the key thing yeah. it, it's, yeah. it's very much a uh mad max uh, beyond thunderdome style sure. sort of thing but yeah. even the clothes for example don't look like they're not wearing like Western clothes, no. turn of hair. We know, no. yes, yeah. It is. It is what's left, basically. Mm, yeah, and what. But, but again, it's also that yeah. element of there are certain parts of the US where the clothes that they're wearing now aren't radically different true. from yep. the clothes that they were wearing a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. Still a lot of cowboy hats being worn. Still a lot of leather and jeans and yeah. stuff like that. That's you true. Know? Cowboy boots, leather jackets. Yeah. Weird shit like that that nobody in this century should be wearing. Yeah. The fuck are you trying to say? Who the, who the <laughs> fuck wears cowboy boots, man? Cowboy boots, jeans, and leather jacket. Oh, no. <laughs> You're a cowboy. Um, mm. Funnily enough, I had uh, a quick thought and turned around as we read that like opening scene. Oh, yeah. Like, blah, blah, blah. And it goes to a 19th century Civil War fort. I thought. Matt's done a Turtles in Time. He's gone back. Oh, prequel there. <laughs> oh, my God. He's doing a Back to the Future. Yeah. Like, I thought you were either the whole film is like a Western prequel zombie-y thing. And I was like, that doesn't make sense in the timeline. How would that work? Or we were going to see, like, a character's ancestor in some way. <laughs> sure, and then sure, flash forward to almost have, like, a dual timeline of, like, a cowboy character and his descendant mm. now living a similar mm. life in the whatever year it is in the Romero verse. Yeah. Um, I honestly thought you would time traveled for a second. There. I was like, <laughs> that's kind you of are fucking nuts. That's the vibe going for other than the clothes. Cause again, that, you're right. That seventies sort of look will retain it. I wonder if you play with that in the opening scenes. That's exactly what mm. we're doing. Yeah. And have like no noticeable technology, Yes. It won't be until you get to the other colony, the camp. Exactly. Oh, shit. First 10 minutes, Mm. you're like, this could be anywhere. Mm. Well, mountainous, so it's going to be mountainous. I'd actually say the first 45 minutes. Oh, fucking hell. It's going to be really like 
This isn't the film I thought it was going to be. I said 15 minutes for a reason. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> I know you want to make it two and a half hours long, but... It's four hours long. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, having that, I think... the vi- Because, obviously, Romero's films are so visual as well, mm. that really helps to build a lot of that... The, the world building and the history and the establishing, establishing the past and yeah. everything like that. I think having almost no telltale technology for... Mm. Not 45 minutes, you maniac, but <laughs> at least an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> For the first two and a half hours or so. For the first two uh, and a half hours. Yeah, but yeah. That, that, at least the first couple of opening scenes, like you said, yes, until, yes. They, until you get into the fort and you clearly see something. Mm, there, yeah. There's going to be an old phone or a fucking mm. car's piled up yeah. in somewhere or whatever. Yeah. It could be anything, anywhere, at any time. And you're like, what the fuck is this mm, yeah where are we why are we here what when is this yeah. where mm. is this and i quite like playing with those expectations again things like the last of us 2 mm-hmm. don't play with that but you're out there you opening scene you're exploring mm-hmm. running away from a zombie horde ending up in like a little shack thing and meeting this group of yeah. people i wonder if you could have i don't know a bit more kind of agency from some of the other characters plotting against each other and having a big I would say a betrayal twist but something along those lines something as good yeah. as like um, a gender reveal of a dog for example <laughs> like pretty big twist you're asking never let you mm. live down um, yeah I, I feel like the, the the good guys camp so to speak yeah could do with a little bit more there needs to be some more tension there yeah, because it feels it feels a little bit idyllic in the they they yeah. they're progressing fine, and there's there's no troubles, and the, the zombies barely trouble them anymore. I think you yeah. need elements in there who are like, no, we need to be out there reclaiming the country, kind of stuff, and then yeah. people who are like, why would we do that? We've got See, a good thing going on. Here. Yeah, because this is the thing I was going to say. Because that's why I had the Greeley character. Now that you're mm. right, by the way, because it's it, again like in the pitch, it's you know glossed mm. over, and part of the stories would be the key point. The reason I didn't include that is the same reason the Day of the Dead Miguel shit. Uh, it's because, in theory, um, if they've been surviving this long, you wouldn't have that disharmony, in mm-hmm. my opinion. So when they introduce a new element to camp and they screen him and he's fine, he comes in, he ends up murdering someone. And they're like, mm. we need to kill this motherfucker. Mm. That's how this works. It's mm. frontier justice kind of thing. Mm. And Greeley's a dangerous person character he needs to be mm. we, they, they're even trying to protect the people in the fort from the same things yeah, happening. yeah. that's the whole thing um so you would have that unity it is semi-idyllic mm. because that's how you survive you could almost have if mm. because if this is their first time coming across the other fort yes you could have someone who's ide- who who then sees that as like well we can get trade going you know we See, can that's that's yeah, exactly yeah, that's great you know, like that, and, yeah. and i think i think you just need something that is a little a bit that the good guys camp can have just something to to stir it up a little bit beyond mm. just they're doing their the thing. thing. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think it's entirely um, fair. I'm happy with that. The other thing that it reminded me of a little bit, yeah, was Ravenous. I do love the shit out of Ravenous. That's that's fair. That's yeah, fair. I yeah, I can see that again. All things Not, that I love, yes, and all things that were often influenced by Romero. So uh, precisely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, it's a really good shout. And I think that's the thing. Do, doing horror frontier stuff is quite rare, but works incredibly well because like, yeah, you're on your own. Yeah. It's worse. Mm. When you're in a city surrounded by people, yeah, it's really bad. Um, 
But when you're in the wilderness, it's it's somehow ten times worse. Mm. And then, weirdly enough, I know I'm saying it's a lot. Another video game um, I'm mm. equating it to the Telltale Walking Dead series. Oh sure, okay. I yeah. think the dynamics you have with those characters, especially with like conflicting camps, and mm. there's I can't remember which one it is, but there is a guy who is suspected of stealing stuff from one of the camps mm. and you can like oh do we kick him out do we leave him to the zombies and you get a moment later on that i really really like um you pretty much confirmed that he is the one that so he's essentially paying like protection costs to these like local thugs who are more well armed than the camp but are outside in the wilderness doing the kind of day of the dead thing of we are the military people we're going off killing the zombies he steals from the camp supplies to kind of satiate them mm-hmm. you find out that's basically true and there is a moment where he jumps and like gets caught on something and you can catch him and try and save him or leave him to die and there's an interesting oh, yeah. thing there i wonder if you could play with i really like the greeley dynamic of having him being this kind of is he or is he not an absolute monster is he just a guy running away from them is he a thief is they make him out to be like a terrible person like a real fucking monster Mm, yeah play up with that a little bit more and maybe have Mm. uh like you said tim bring tension into that camp a little bit more Mm. and have them have to really because they're Mm. so kind of honed in and and Mm. able to survive so many different things for so many years have Mm. them really drill down into him and see where his loyalties lie and all that kind of yeah. stuff and his uh, like the the uncertainty of where he kind of stands brings that tension mm. out in the rest of them see in a, in a not even a first draft a, a, an initial idea similar to what Tim was suggesting earlier there was a moment of conflict where I had this whole bit where there were other mem- members in the camp who actually killed Billy's dad and framed Greeley right yeah and then I was That's like, "That's why I suspected reading it." By the way, yeah, yeah. And I thought to myself, "You know what? That was my guess." No, because uh, yeah. again, I think that was the things I thought to myself. That feels again. I think I think I was just so adversely trying not to do with a girl situation. I felt like it was too easy. I thought like that's too much of an easy catalyst. Mm. What about it's just the idea that he is just a dickhead, and the I, reason this camp has been working so perfectly this whole time is because they are in such. A locked unity. And again, mm. I, I know that the key building here is one of those things we glazed up of incredibly quickly with they share some stories. But again, that's that's word count shit. Yeah, yeah. Um I think there's a yeah, balance be, you can strike done. there though. Yeah. Miguel is so actively He's useless and, and nonsense, yes. mad yeah. bullshit, chaotic stuff. There's some tension you can play in the grey areas there that I yeah. think it would yeah. you could do with building that a bit yeah. more. And like you said, I, I, mm. yeah, I think that's the thing, is that Miguel is so over the top in the way that he breaks down. We want you at like a seven, not an eleven out of ten. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's the thing. Like, there's plenty of room to have, even in a camp that is working relatively well, to have tension and to have a little bit of factionalism or people getting on each other's nerves because they've been like locked up together for for fifteen years. Sure, people don't go mad in like lockdown situations. Yeah, no, it's all fine. Yeah, you know. there's plenty of ways to have there be tension and to have to to even have Greeley have been there for a longer amount of time and he's just mm. he's been getting like he's been causing more and more problems and then someone finally 
like took mm. him to task or he was sleeping with someone's wife or something oh, and yeah. that that led to a murder or something you know yeah, and, yeah, that's and fair. those kind of human drama yes elements no, I, I could definitely inject mm. a lot of that especially with the ambiguity of like just do conversational stuff on the tracks and stuff like that you know it's yeah like, especially because it might not w- be so clear when it first started i assumed that the people in the civil war camp were going to be the good guys yeah same. Um, and the people who were hunting down greedy was like well obviously they're the bad guys they're riding mm. in on horses and being like we've got we've got to take this, this man yeah. yeah um so that's that's a very that was a very clever reversal and mm. i think it'd be in yeah i think there's more stuff but again it's all Word count, it's all additional stuff that I mean, you bring in yeah. when you haven't got a, you know, 1800 word pitch to, true, to fit true. it in. Um, um, yes, that's very true, Tim. Um, I think, again, it's trying to play up the audience expectation of a time as well. The idea that 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 that, that nuclear fear mm. of like, I mean, what's it'll be a bit of a commentary on what does and doesn't actually have purpose. So in an age of like real commercialism and yuppies and all that bullshit, everything going materialistically up its ass and saying, but if things go to shit, you do realize that, and that's why they were like production design. We're talking about the, um, the idea of the camp and how things look. There'd be so many things that you think would be like, Oh, these would be vital to our survival. Like radios, for example, you mentioned that like, it's like, Nope, nothing doesn't, doesn't help. Cause once the batteries go dead, it's dead. Mm. That's it's not even worth trying to resurrect that technology because we can only sort of makeshift it. What we need to do is go back to a different form of te- blah, 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 that kind of thing. Which again is that reaction of this is what you're pushing towards. This this, this course that we're on currently, it, I, we may even have like a line of conversation about that, but it's like, you know, uh, you know, if, if someone's getting out of line with dissidents and say, this is what happened. This is why we ended up like this way in the first place. So like, you don't know that. So like, yeah, I do. That's how, you know, these, you know, outbreaks and so society broke down in the first place, how the governments broke down Yada yada yada. Um, so yeah, I, I but um, I'd be yeah. very interested because eighties was like kind of the lowest point for westerns. Like this is the thing you hadn't even right. got to stuff like Unforgiven and Dances with Wolves, no. like re-examining mm, it. No. Yeah, no, you're um, right. You're right there. You've got like Young Guns. And that's about yeah, it. Yeah, you've got you know, given yeah. Tombstone coming and this up. Is, like, this yeah. is the key thing. So you're entirely correct, Tim, because um, tonally, this could be like a 70s Clint Eastwood Western, basically. Mm. Or a 90s Clint Eastwood Western. Mm. <laughs> but you're right, 80s was shit for Westerns. Mm. And my hope is that, because the way it's described, and especially through that uh, pitch that I've done specifically, it sounds like a Western. Plays out like a Western. But visually isn't in the same way that Assault and Precinct 13 is a Western, but mm. not really. Yeah. You know? If I don't set you, tell you it's set in a prison in the late 70s, suddenly it's, it's yeah. a, it could easily be a Western. It's like, oh yeah, the sheriff's in town and mm. they, they all try and Should get him. Not mention there's an ice cream truck involved. Doug Brown invented one? No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, God. No, you, ice cream horse. Yeah, exactly. But that's kind of the thing. It's It's... It's, uh, it'd be very difficult. I, I think it's the thing. It's very, very different. Um, and I know people would want to go bigger and bigger and bigger. But as we said about Day of the Dead, that kind of went bigger, but went smaller in a weird way. Mm. Um, and I want the bigger aspect to be the outside. Mm. There's no house. There's no mall. There's just mm. the wilderness mm. um, and how terrifying that would be in of its own right. Um, but you're right, Westerns didn't do well, but I think this is one that hopefully would be 
uh, we were to like what two two years three years outside of like unforgiven things like that with yeah it might be the start of something interesting ahead of its time in the same way that you know Romero's like oh malls are going to be a big thing mm-hmm. i mean yeah obviously malls were in the 70s but not in the same way they were in 80s and it, it, like you know stranger things series three or two when they introduced the mall for the yeah. first time you're like oh yeah because that's what we associate uh same with like bill and ted in 1989 mm-hmm. talking about going to the mall stranger things series three where they watch day of the dead yeah. the cinema. yep that's there you go that's a good point um so there you go that's that's, that's what i was planning on doing with it i appreciate it is as i said a very bold turn um but i think in romero's hands and with that specific understanding of like oh no i'm making a statement and doing something different because every single la- uh, every single of the dead movie for better or worse tries to do something different and move yeah. the world along pushes the world building until you get to the last two and then nah, 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 nah. <laughs> um but um well, actually, Fed Diary of the Dead t- tries to do something different. It's just other people doing it better at the time. Mm. He hadn't learned the lessons other people had learned from the whole survival, uh, yeah. damn footage thing. Um, and survival's just nonsense. But, yeah, just trying to do something a little different, set in the same sort of vein, see how it would go. Mm-hmm. And from there, you could do anything. You could do all kinds of mad bullshit. You could do a land in the theory. Mm. I'm very interested to see what our... Listeners think of this one. Mm. I'm a little concerned. <laughs> let, us, let us know on social media, folks. We are sequelizers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. As always, please do tweet at us. That's usually the easiest way to get hold of us on social media. You can also get hold of us on the Discord as well. You can go to sequelizers.com slash Discord or click on the Discord link at the top of the page. Come and join our lovely little community. We basically have post-show discussions after every episode goes live on the Patreon. And when it goes live on the Tuesday on every podcast service imaginable as well. So, yeah, come and join us for discussions, both spoilerific and spoiler-free. And, uh, yeah, tear apart Matt's Western zombie adventure. Eat my ass. And eat his entire arsehole, I believe is the phrase. Zombies will. Zombies will. Zombies will eat your entire arsehole, Matthew. Mm. But only if you ask nicely. <laughs> so, yeah, come and join the Discord. Follow us on social media. And, yeah, go to... the all the live streams are on the website, all the merch is on the website, all that kind of stuff. Sequelizers.com is your hub for Sequelizers information in general. You can follow me on social media. I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything. Matthew, how can people follow you and tell you why you should not make a Western zombie movie on the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can go to the redrighthand.co.uk and read my reviews. You can go to cheesemint.com and see the things I make. You can also search for Sumo Drop via the BBG Wrestling channel or bbgwrestling.com uh, for my sumo coverage. Tim, uh, when the world eventually goes to shit and there's only a handful of uh, sources of reliable information, what shall I type into Twitter to find out about the truth? Trivia <laughs> underscore lad. Put a bullet on him, Jack! <laughs> the zombies just keep doing the things they did when they were alive yep. in many ways. Tweet, tweeting. tweeting. <laughs> Ain't that the oh, truth? Oh, you zombies! Tweet, tweet, tweet! That's a song. Sounds terrible. It's actually a good song. Don't believe you. I like it. I don't trust your taste in music. That's cruel, but <laughs> fair. <laughs> so yeah, go and follow us on social medias and on the Discord and all that kind of stuff. We're always... Talking mm. about this kind of thing, pretty mm. much following up on the episodes, mm. discussing our history with zombie movies and all that kind of thing. 
if you are able to and would like to, please review us on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts, all that kind of stuff. That is probably the best way to support us and help spread the word of sequelizers and five help us stars, grow. please. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with something pretty fucking different <laughs> to say. The I don't list. remember next week. What is it? Mouth it to me quietly. What? Zombies. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, I remember now. Zombies, Sorry, yes. Matthew. I thought you just said, be yum. <laughs> be yum? <laughs> I did. That isn't even a clue, ladies and gentlemen. Be yum, indeed. And um, on that note, we'll see you next week. Be yum.